0: You understand the meaning of the word foreboding. As in badness it's happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Boy, oh, you guys are a hell of a duet here.
1: Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Uh,
0: Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So, for one last time, I need you.
1: Because lobsters live for over 100 years.
0: Now, what the hell are you waiting for?
1: After
0: me, there should be no more. So, for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. In a place where soldiers fight to keep their honor. That is my A hero plans. East West Point, fourth generation, the lifetime of the military. And then he winds up here. Nobody belongs here. His moment to strike back. These are the only battlefields left to us. Now, an unexpected murder. it!
1: lieutenant scott accosted sergeant bedford and killed him we'll give one man the chance to set his plan in motion any prisoner accused of a crime has a right to a trial and another man a chance to join the fight we're appointing you counsel for lieutenant scott sir i'm not a lawyer the lieutenant needs our help understood hello everybody this is above the title a podcast about colin farrell in the state of the 21st century movie star and great actors i'm connor i'm cole and we are here to talk about the 2002 film Hearts War, starring Colin Farrell and Bruce Willis, Terrence Howard, Cole Hauser, and Marcel Yures. Is that I, how I, you pronounce his name? I have no idea. I
0: don't know. I just can't believe we're talking about Cole Hauser again
1: after, I, after we went into so into so
0: deep, deep on uh, Tigerland.
1: Well, let's jump right into it. Have, do you have a pre-existing relationship to this movie? I had never like heard of this movie before, I don't think.
0: I just knew it existed right like I just I mean I I might have remembered vaguely when it came out because this is about the time I think my my memory my earliest memories of just like being aware that there were movie listings Mm -hmm. in in like the newspaper and just having like a background radiation sense of Movies that are out, even if I'm not seeing them, kind of extends back to like summer 2001, early 2002. So I, I I might have seen a poster for this at some point. I can definitely say that until I started thinking seriously about Colin Farrell, I definitely was kind of conflating this and Tigerland in my head. Just because I knew that he made like early in his career, he had a starring role in a war movie. And <laughs> yeah. I think I just assumed they were the same film. And it wasn't until actually digging into it that I I had it. But I had not seen it until this morning.
1: I think in my case, I was growing up, I was far too obsessed with sports to pay (laughs) attention, maybe to like the popular culture at hand. And it's not until around like 2006 that I feel like I had a very like, general consciousness like a strong general consciousness of what like films are out there what adult can, films are out there that exists.
0: can you remind me because I actually think this is important to the broader project of this podcast what year were you born I was born in 94 okay I was born in 92 okay. so I'm, I'm a little older than you but we are both kids around the era this thing is popping up and I think the to, to, to that point that these movies are starting to maybe just hit not even a sense of nostalgia for us as viewers, but a sense of nostalgia for us is just Colin Farrell as a celebrity, as someone who kind of popped early, I think in our lives, maybe.
1: Yes. I think I've been kind of getting at this in every episode we've done so far about how he becomes such a iconographic actor at such an early point in his life. Like he's 25 years old when he takes this movie on and when he is coming back around for like the second act of his career, and in, in Bruges, which I can't wait till we get—I I really can't wait till we get to that period, like that beginning of his period when he starts working with Lanthimos and McDonough. But when he comes back around to that beginning of the second act of his career, he's still a very young man
0: <laughs> in these. Yeah, movies. it's it's insane to think that he's only, you know, now that we're recording this in February of 2023. He, he's only 46.
1: Yeah, you, wouldn't, you would not assume so. And like I said, I think considering the types of roles he was taking at this point in his career, you would not assume so. When other actresses yeah. age are taking roles as high school students, <laughs> you know? Yes.
0: Yeah, it's, no, that's true. And I also think, not, not to jump the gun ahead, but I think this is an important movie in the arc of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of alluded to this in the past two weeks, but this marks the beginning of what I'm kind of thinking of as Colin Farrell's second on the call sheet era. That for the next couple movies and the next Colin, for the next couple movies next couple years in his career, um, and it really is like five or six movies because he works so often. I mean, all actors make like two or three movies a year. It's not that, not that shocking, but we're seeing this. He goes on this run starting with this movie where sometimes he'll be a supporting character. Sometimes he'll be the lead, but he is constantly being paired up with absolute undeniable a-list movie stars Mm -hmm. and it really feels almost like a training program for this guy to ensure that he's going to become a movie star if they just throw him in with enough steady hands he'll get the hang of it after two flops in a row that he's trying to carry solely on his own shoulders And and we can get into it and we should get into the plot but i think this is a an important movie to discuss in this context because and we'll loop back around to this after the plot synopsis, but this movie is called Heart's War. Colin Farrell is the title character of this movie. Colin Farrell is undeniably the protagonist of this movie. It's not Mm -hmm. even a question. And Mm -hmm. this movie is sold on Bruce Willis, who is first billed, and it's about an even 50-50 in the marketing material, whether or not the marketing material also bills Colin Farrell on this. But they they were selling this as a Bruce movie.
1: I think you clearly... Cannot sell a movie of this caliber as a Colin Farrell movie at this point in time. I mean, undeniably, but,
0: yeah. but but it's, it's, it's that point I'm making that even when he's the lead, they're kind of shunting him into the number two spot in terms of persona to kind of get a little shine on him off a real star.
1: I have more on this that I think is very important to get into. Um, yes. I just want to make a point to kind of counter the way you're thinking. I think we both have different visions and you're thinking more in lines of like who he's being paired up with on these projects that he undertakes. Yes. Um, but I can't help but thinking about his career, at least this early stage of his career um, in terms of, when is he discovered and when is he established as like a fixture within the film industry and i think this is like a very pivotal film in the middle of that i can't really place this on either side because as we'll get into this is another flop i mean by far the biggest one that he's been in just based on the size of the budget Mm -hmm. um well in terms of the money lost Uh, This is the biggest. It's hard for me
0: to say anything is more of a flop than (laughs) than Tigerland, not even Tigerland. Tigerland, Tigerland making back less in the box office than what is considered the budget cutoff for micro budget. Like, I
1: don't know. I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure the executives of the company that I work for gave themselves larger Christmas bonuses than what Colin Farrell than what Tigerland made at the box it's office.
0: It's just, it's just so <laughs> funny. But yes, this movie is is not a hit, and we can we can get into the reasons why mm. later because it's actually kind of a weird story. But uh, I do, you do have think
1: any. Uh, oh, I'll let you finish. But I think if we could just move into like maybe like a quick like opinion that we have of the film before we try to recap it, like plot points. Yeah. Plot point.
0: I mean, I, I kind of mentioned last week, this is my take on this movie is I kind of mentioned last week that sometimes I think we fetishize movies of like the pre-digital era or pre-franchise era. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. we, we almost over reward them for basic competency because contemporary Hollywood has fallen so low on that. And I will admit that I am totally doing that with this movie. I think this movie is thematically and narratively a mess, but is so solidly made that I'm kind of just won over by the old school programmer charms of it.
1: I kind of agree. I think that once we get into talking about the performances, it might get a little boring almost because they're so... There's there's not many faults with any of them, and there's not really faults with any of the craftsman like aspects of the film. The actual uh, like the actual construction of the film as a you know piece of a material piece of something, a, a product that's yeah. being sold to the public.
0: To use a to use a sportsy analogy, because you're <laughs> okay, you're go. you're Mr. Yeah. Jock over here, um, and I might be I might be fucking messing this up. Uh, this movie's a bunt. You know, it's unglamorous. It's safe. Uh, I don't know if it, it's a it's,
1: bunt it's, because a bunt is a ballsy move. It, you think a bunt's
0: a ballsy move? Okay, this is a. Yeah, this, is, it's a, like this a, is an easy single.
1: It's a single where it's like you grounded like right in between second base and first base. Yes. Okay, yeah.
0: that's better. Well, that's less intentional, I guess, is why I was saying bunt. But if you think bunts ballsy, yeah, you're sportsy over here. I'm not. I think a bunt um,
1: is more strategic than this film is.
0: Sure. Yeah. This is okay. This is a safe single. Is what I was saying. Yeah, but there's it's not a, there's, a
1: strikeout. You know, there's
0: no glory in it. There's no chance of massive success, but it's it gets the job done. Well,
1: I, something I find frustrating about it is I, this is clearly when it got greenlit as a piece of Oscar bait. No,
0: I believe so.
1: Yeah, I it was released in. in February, I'm pretty so there, sure. So
0: there's a reason it was released in February, and okay. that we can get into it later. Um, um we can but get as into it. As,
1: right. uh, yeah, as far as my like quick opinion of it goes, I think like to base off of what you said, it I think eventually like after the first half an hour of the film, which I was pretty engaged throughout that opening 30 minutes, and I think there's good reason why, because the opening 30 minutes is like almost by far the most visual the film gets. And it eventually just loses grasp of that visual, I, I hate to say spectacle, but there is, there is a, it, it is a function of war spectacle what the beginning of the film accomplishes. I think it just becomes like overbearingly by the numbers at some point. And I think, again, if you're watching from our modern perspective of the blockbusters we're getting that aren't necessarily temple films, it's, there's something comfortable in this in this movie especially the way it looks like shot on mm-hmm. actual film yes. the cinematography is pretty great you can't deny it um but I I, mean, again like i think it's it's you calling it a ground single is is probably like the best analogy mm-hmm. you can make it's by the numbers it i think it does what they were intending to do with it i just don't think those intentions like really work <laughs> or really hold their own in any way whatsoever
0: you Know this was this was directed by Gregory Hoblet, who has like about a 10 year period as a film director, mostly making like mid budget star driven thrillers. Mm-hmm. Some of which are incredible. Uh, he made Primal Fear, which I know is kind of becoming a bit of a punching bag, but I think that movie's a masterpiece. Um, some of them are like I've never seen the Diane Lane internet horror film, Untraceable, but people. I mean, it's like it's like a widely like zero Rotten Tomatoes stinker. Yeah. But before his like 12 year run as a film director and after his 12 year film director, he is a guy who directs network procedurals. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of the energy that this movie and I think a lot of his movies have good, if not flashy cinematography, you know, kind of laborious plotting. He is good with actors in a kind of baseline sense. And I think what you see, even if Primal Fear has like a better script and flashier performances than this, it's clearly the same steady hand making this movie.
1: Yes, I think, you know, if you start thinking about what it takes to direct episodes of a procedural, Mm -hmm. um, especially in the 90s. And we're not talking about like the modern miniseries that show up on streaming services that are essentially just like bloated films that some of them desperately need to be cut down others work. But if you're thinking about procedurals, especially in that tradition of the nineties and and before um, I think what you require as a director in that sense is kind of a grasp on like what makes what, what you're trying to get out of each scene just to get literally from like day of work to the next day of work without like losing complete control of what you're going after. And I do think what works in that film is that like, steady control of like we're just trying to nail this scene but not necessarily like the macro lens of like how this entire film works as like a singular piece of art
0: yeah and i think i will say though i do think this movie's flaws more exist in what seems to be kind of a cobbled together screenplay mm-hmm. um but before we get into that let's get into the plot uh and i apologize listeners this is far and away the most (laughs) densely plotted movie that we have discussed on this podcast so far. So bear with me as I try to hurdle my way through the events of this film. But again, the film is the 2002 picture hearts war directed by Gregory Hoblet written by Terry George and Billy Ray, Billy Ray, Billy Ray. Ray, I want to say Billy Ray, the wrestler, but Billy Ray Ray. uh, (laughs) of heartbreak feels good in a place like this fame. Uh, As we said, hold on one second while I just pull up a reference here, (laughs) Uh, just to get some names down. The film stars Colin Farrell as Lieutenant Thomas Hart, who is the son of a senator and is working a cushy gig as an intelligence officer in a military base in Belgium in the late years of World War II, far from any action. Uh, While transporting an officer to the front, he is attacked by bandits and captured by the Nazis. Under torture, he almost immediately caves and gives up troop and weapons information to the Nazis during the Battle of the Bulge. He is then transferred to a POW camp in Germany, where he is introduced to Colonel McNamara, played by Bruce Willis, the highest ranking officer in the camp. McNamara immediately susses out, despite Hart's denial that he gave out information and caved under torture, but does not say anything to Hart about this. Instead, offended by Hart's betrayal of the sort of honor that is required of officers, he does not embrace him into the officer fold in the camp and instead assigns him to live with the enlisted men, where Hart sort of becomes a liaison between the officers and the grunts. Shortly after Hart arrives, two Black Air Force pilots are captured and brought into the camp. They are Lieutenant Archer and Lieutenant Scott, the latter of whom is played by Terrence Howard. Tensions almost immediately arise amongst the enlisted men in the camp who are offended and resistant and almost violently angry at the idea that they would have to show deference to Black Air Force officers. The main instigator here is Sergeant Bedford, uh, played by Cole Hauser, who is a virulent racist who almost immediately butts heads with these two Black pilots. Eventually, Lieutenant Archer finds himself framed for an escape attempt and is unsummarily executed by the Nazis. Shortly after this, Bedford, the racist, finds himself killed in a scuffle, and Lieutenant Scott, again, played by Terrence Howard, is arrested for the crime. McNamara, I told you this was dense, (laughs) McNamara decides that Lieutenant Scott deserves a court-martial and assigns Hart to defend Lieutenant Scott. Over the course of the trial, because Lieutenant Scott insists he's innocent, McNamara uncovers and kind of brings to light the racial tensions that exist in the newly, not even integrated, but semi-integrated army, and discovers that Sergeant Bedford was an informant working with the Nazi guards at the camp in exchange for favors and equipment, and that the the, the execution of Lieutenant Archer was set up both by the Nazis and by Bedford. Hart then You're also. are doing great. Dis- You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> I told you this was dead. All this is important, though. It is. <laughs> like- Hart then also discovers that McNamara and the rest of the officers are planning an attack on a munitions factory held inside the POW camp. McNamara, in fact, was the one who murdered Bedford in order to keep him from ratting out the plan to the to the guards. And McNamara framed Scott for the crime so that they would have to have a laborious uh, court-martial during which McNamara and the rest of the officers could dig a tunnel to the munitions factory and execute their sabotage while the Nazi commandants are distracted by the trial. McNamara, again, someone who believes in honor, fully believes that the ends justify the means and that it is worth sacrificing Lieutenant Scott so that the Nazi war effort can be hampered. Lieutenant Scott, when told of this plan, also is willing to be a sacrificial lamb, but Hart, Colin Farrell, having learned the importance of honor and dignity in his time at the camp, decides that it's unfair to make Scott be the one who was sacrificed. And in the closing moments of the trial, claims that he was the one who murdered Bedford because Bedford was an informant. The the Nazi guards take Hart outside to be executed, but in doing so, discover the tunnel and realize that the officers have slipped out during all the hubbub. They are about to execute Hart and all the other men responsible when McNamara makes a triumphant return, the factory explodes into flames and he appealing to the dignity of the com- the Nazi commandant of the camp takes claim for everything that occurred over the past week, including the murder and finds himself executed shortly after the war ends and Hart returns to the United States having become a better man. Holy shit, this movie is tense.
1: <laughs> I, I've got a couple of things. One, when you're editing this episode, you may need to play that at like two and a half times speed just to get it all out of the way as quick as possible. Okay, I, I listed out...
0: If honestly, I, I might re-record it.
1: <laughs> I am I am notably horrible at the plot summaries. I don't know what it is. My brain shuts down. Last week, I was clearly having issues with Novocaine when we recorded the episode. I hope it's not that bad ever again. But I decided that for now on, we're just going to plot it out ahead of time and see how close we get. And we'll yeah. treat it as some kind of game. I had 13 dire plot points for this film that I listed out ahead of time. Yes. I'm happy to say, I think you got... I think you got like 12.75 of them. Yeah, you didn't I didn't mention hit everything. You didn't mention that Hart in addition to being the son of a senator is also a second-year law student at Yale yes. before he leaves for the war and that is why he gets appointed as the defense for um Scott during the court martial, which is yeah. also another thing that marginally comes up where Scott's annoyed that there seemed to be other real lawyers in the POW camp. Yet Hart was the one that was assigned to him and he's not even a, a full lawyer. He's just a law student, but I will yeah. give you a bonus point. Cause I had a, the bonus plot point I had was that Bedford was working with the Nazis when I was writing it out. Cause I think you can understand the plot of the film without that, like added. Yeah. Like,
0: it's it's weirdly, doctor. it's weirdly like vestigial to the movie.
1: It is. Yeah. It doesn't,
0: it doesn't truly matter except I think to add more, especially I think in the last, cause I'm going to say this about a solid third of the plot that I just covered happens in the last 20 minutes of this two hour movie. Like this movie crams most of its incidents in the very last act. And I think it is just there as another speed bump vis-a-vis adding more twists and turns to the courtroom drama Mm -hmm. element of this movie. And it kind of, I think, invites, but doesn't particularly stick the landing to this idea that the most virulently racist American soldier in the camp would actually almost have more sympathy with the Nazis than he would with his fellow Americans but that's that's me reaching, right? I don't think the movie even seems like it's making that point.
1: Well, I literally wrote down like my first thoughts of the film, aside from like our brief opinion, I literally wrote down that, like, I think there are there are actually merits to the structure of the film that have that like are genuinely insightful about the institutionalization of racism, except I don't think that. The film, like they only land if you spend enough time thinking about the film where you're you're twisting your own like opinion of it into a pretzel. And I don't think the film did that intentionally, nor do I think it's like deserving of like that length of thought that like you and I have been giving it because we're going to record a podcast episode and talk about it for two hours.
0: I think there is something interesting, theoretically, in the idea that the heroic soldiers Horwick officers, Bruce Willis and his cohorts, the idea that they basically stage a hate crime or retaliation for a hate crime and inflame, uh, inflame racial tensions in the camp intentionally to distract everyone from what they're trying to do. There is something interesting there about the role, like the ruling class wants to have Racism play in culture, but that is a completely accidental. Because again, McNamara is the good guy; he's not he's not a villain for inflaming the racial tensions here. It, it it is. I mean, I'm stretching to make this comparison, but it 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 doesn't land. You're right because we're trying to justify stuff that the movie kind of just stumbles into accidentally. And I I said earlier that I think this movie is thematically muddled, and I'm I want I want your opinion on this. In my mind, the biggest Demerit against this movie is the fact that it kind of half-ass puts forward wanting to be a movie about racism in the army, but only just as like fat to pass the time before it gets to the actual like climactic stuff it's interested in. And the fact that it gives it such short shrift, like truly irritates me.
1: Yeah, I think that's okay. So I went into this movie like a com- clean slate. I had no yes. idea what this movie is about. I was completely naive, and he. I I think Hart literally like arrives at Stalag Seventeen. Is that? right? Really it's not that right?
0: Seventeen. That's a Billy Wilder.
1: Movie. Oh, sorry. St- <laughs> Stalag Six. Stalag six. Yes, yes, Six. I'm. Wow, that was crazy. Um, <laughs> I think he arrives at Stalag Six, a, literally thirty minute mark into the film, and yeah it's crazy because you have the beginning of the film when when he gets kind of captured like he drives off in the jeep and crashes the jeep and then the nazis take him in like a short uh a short torture montage that it's not like like none of these are like real scenes they're they're all just like kinetic montages which is like genuinely engaging like an engaging way to start off the film but you don't realize how long it is. I, I I was just rewatching like the beginning of it while I was waiting for you to get on the call. And I think he literally arrives at the camp at minute 30 because you have this really long scene when they're in the trains on the way to the camp where US pilots are attacking um, the German ground forces and they can't see. So like typically on the top of the train, I'm assuming this is real. Like, I don't know for a fact because this is what's stated in the movie that it says POW on top of the train so that forces of the captured soldiers know not to attack that train but since it's this takes place right before new year's day um the top of the train's covered in snow and the american pilots can't see the pow so they start firing on the train anyways uh a a heroic soldier played by um the dude from entourage like hops out of the window window and gets like mowed down by an american plane while he opens the door to the train and all the soldiers run out and they form the letters pow by standing together like there's some kind of like college marching band at halftime and uh that that seems like genuinely pretty great i think it's like pretty well structured pretty well choreographed it's 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 definitely, I don't know if it's something that I've necessarily like seen in another war film of this caliber. But yeah. again, you're you're 30 minutes into a two-hour-long film and he hasn't even reached the camp yet. And then once he reaches the camp, there's another 10 to 15 minutes of him just getting acquainted with McNamara, getting acquainted with Bedford before Archer and um sorry, what's Terrence Howard's character? Scott, Scott. before Archer and Scott even show up on their train. So By the time the racism starts getting introduced into the film, I was almost like I thought it was I thought it was due diligence. I guess I was like, oh, you have black soldiers, so you have to you have to address the racism at hand. And then when the film like fully like fully developed into a, a legal drama about institutionalized racism that i i was like completely thrown off i didn't see that coming at all i think another thing that i'm trying to get at is the beginning 30 minutes of this movie almost have the vibe of um you're going to be watching almost like a rendition of the odyssey like within world war ii especially when that plane attack happens it seems like oh they're just gonna be what like marching through the countryside trying to get back to the american camps um I, I don't think I realized that it was a POW drama either. Like I knew he got captured at the beginning. Yeah. It happens f- very first scene, but um I don't think it occurred to me that it was gonna be like a dialogue heavy legal drama within a POW film about institutionalized yeah. racism, which just saying that alone is you know, you're you're meshing like a hundred films that already exist into one yeah. thing.
0: But I think I think the other the real issue here, well, I guess two points of the issue here the first point is that ultimately like i said the racial tensions are a smokescreen narratively like yes. they they don't end up mattering in the climax of the movie because what actually matters is this attempted sabotage
1: i'm sorry i fully distracted myself i think no, i also wanted to say that like this is the story about thomas hart yes. developing from like a privileged alienated coward at the beginning of the film into somebody who like discovers what he'd be willing to trade his life for by the yes. end and and I know that yeah. alone like that that character arc that driving force of the film in the way that it's structured within this film just like does not mesh with the legal with the I mean sorry with the racial dynamics that are like yes. being uncovered or being you know examined under a microscope here Um,
0: I, I know this is not the only movie to commit this sin of its era. In fact, I would argue that this was the sort of story that we would see told in Hollywood. Honestly, up to fairly recently, this was still commonplace. mm -hmm. But the idea that it is, again, the, the, the story of institutionalized racism can only be told through, um, through white eyes not only through white eyes but where what matters is how it affects the white characters mm-hmm. um it's just it's just lazy storytelling and it's just interesting and it, i'm sorry but it, it strikes me as disrespectful to to trot out these black performers and have you know terrence howard has this really i think moving monologue he gives on the bet on the stand um where he discusses you know all the racism he's experienced despite his, you know, career achievements in the in the air Force. And it's a very affecting moment, but it's also kind of bullshit in a movie like this, because the movie doesn't care about these characters because it what it cares about is, again, Thomas Hart and him learning. And then it doubly doesn't care about these characters because of the third act twist. Like yes. you could, you can ultimately tell this same story and strip the racial element out entirely. And the movie is 90% the same because the, the moral lessons imparted on Thomas Hart are not, you know, equality and empathy and even like that very paternalistic sense you see in other, you know, white savior, white savior is not a hundred percent the right term, but like movies about white people learning about racism from the era. Those aren't the lessons that are imparted at the end of this movie. The lessons at the uh, part of the, in this movie are these very like romantic military ideals of honor and dignity and doing the right thing and working together. And that, 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 that's where the movie ends up going makes it, even more of like offensive and misguided to me than all the other white guy learns about racism movies of the era.
1: Well, I think which are think great what makes it no definitely not <laughs> to but what start makes off it, with. What makes it so strange when you're comparing it to films like that? Which uh, now that you're bringing it up, I do wonder if like the reaction that everybody had to Green Book winning Best Picture has kind of put the nail in the coffin on that, and hopefully we won't be getting that yeah. longer. But, but even
0: when Green Book came out. People were talking about Green Book like, uh, like an almost offensive throwback. Like obviously, there yeah. are people who like Green Book. but I, I don't know when the exact moment, like the tide broke, and i'm I'm not saying that Hollywood is cured of all racism now. but <laughs> clearly we are starting to get a sense that movies like this are are less acceptable. And I think the point of that is that, but when Green Book comes out, everyone on his face is like, we're doing this again, you know? Yeah.
1: And I, but what, what's making me laugh right now is that even those movies do something that this movie doesn't where this movie is not a movie about Thomas Hart being forced to reconsider his own privilege, his own like class, like his class status and how that affects his perspective of the experiences that he's going through in the world around him. Than the people who are like, below him within this hierarchy in america i mean it's it's we're talking about america here we're not we're not talking about the the world as a whole which i think is is maybe another issue that i want to get into later but i think what's (laughs) what what makes what makes this even more of a head scratcher is like again this is a movie about thomas hart discovering what he would be willing to trade his life for and not not being forced in any way whatsoever to like come to terms with his own privilege, his own racial privilege, his own um class privilege, his own economic privilege. And I think that's like probably the major failing here. Other I wanna, than I, the the failings of perspective. That, yeah.
0: I want to yeah. push back on that just a smidge.
1: Well, I do I, have a caveat yeah, as well. I, I do
0: think, I do think you are 99%. On the money but the one thing I do want to push Back on is I do think this movie Somewhat is interested In Thomas Hart Learning to outgrow his own privilege But it's nothing to do With whiteness or his association With race and all that the privilege That this movie wants to push back against is that This is like a prissy Upper class well off Silver spoon in his mouth You know kid Who has to like when placed in proximity with, you know, big, strong, morally upstanding men from the heartland, has to like move p- past his sort of like, you know, slimy lawyer, son of a senator aspects and become just another, you know, great American hero. And that's the privilege it's interested in pushing up against. It has no concern for his attitudes towards race, which seem to be that he is like, plainly like on his face has no prejudice and just has never considered that racism might be a problem until he's confronted with it
1: Mm -hmm. um i do the caveat that i have i actually i want to read just like a section from this interview that colin had with the bbc at the time the film was released when they asked him how just how cold was it when he was filming in the Czech winter, because they filmed this film in the Czech Republic. Yes. And he says, freezing cold than I've ever seen, especially as I had no shoes or socks on. It was tough, but then that's as it should be. I shouldn't be sitting in a trailer drinking warm tea while there's 2,000 Czech extras sitting out in the freezing cold, earning as much money a day as most superstars spent on toothpaste in a week. It should be hard. And I think that's the caveat that... I couldn't get past that I think yeah even at this early stage in his career in his performance you can see that he's trying to get at that the character is wrestling with these things and I think that's because if you read any interview you listen to any interview with him up until the present day he he has always been aware of maybe the good luck the good fortune that he's had to to you know become a millionaire right out of the gate and star in these massive films in Hollywood um he talks about like the homeless problems in LA all the time Mm -hmm. he has causes that he's very passionate about and I think this is something that he he is able to breathe into the performance maybe at least something that I saw that isn't supported by like the actual film as a whole and I think that's like the one caveat I have here um i don't know if we should just start talking about him in this and his performance i, I do but to.
0: before i just want to i just want to touch on something else that you pulled up which is a, a a junket clip like an epk junket clip with hollywood.com uh that you found where they interview like most of the cast about this movie and it's all very very buzzy questions and i did think there was something very interesting which is that you know they ask they ask Terrence Howard if he was surprised to discover that there was this much racism in the army and the air in the military in the era. And Terrence Howard just like stares this woman down and like very plainly is like, of course I knew this because I experienced (laughs) this stuff in my day to day life. I have no illusions. And then they ask Colin, Colin something similar and Colin then like gives this very kind of, I found moving and eloquent answer where he's like, well, I wasn't surprised because like I know that humanity has the capacity for great evil, and I know that humanity has the capacity for great good, right? That mm-hmm. that that he sees that that you can see that Colin is addressing this like not in a reductive way, but in a sense of like we we as people can 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 touch on these great evils. And he does address that he's like, and I he doesn't think these things are fixed in the modern era. That that that's the perspective he's coming at is like that he's like, well, people are still racist. He does say people are still homophobic, which I thought was a very interesting thing for a male movie star to say in 2002. And then he said, Mm -hmm. but people are also kind and people help each other and people hurt each other. And I I do, I I think you're right when I say that you think that he he is a performer is maybe trying to get at something that the movie is not willing to let him get at. Do I know that he sticks that landing? I'm not sure. What do you think?
1: Again, I don't, think so if we're talking about gregory hoblet like we said again i don't know if that's how his last name was actually pronounced but as we said he you know he's 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 solid at directing from scene to scene from episode to episode that's what he built his career on i think what's interesting about this film is that as opposed to you know the film we had to watch last week and even a little bit in tiger land is that there's not a bad performance i can point to in this film um, And I think that while while I kind of I still like the more I think about it the more I hold Boz from Tigerland like near and dear to my heart like I really <laughs> think like Colin like as as kind of the breakout role I really think he did things in that film that like most actors wouldn't do given the their initial shot to star in a film especially mm-hmm. like a bleak film about people with the awareness that they're getting shipped off to war to die. Um, but I think in this film he he seems more present within character on the screen like that screen presence that he has is always as heart and and the few times where I'm looking and I'm like that's Colin Farrell are far fewer in this film than there are in other films that we watched him Um, but like I said before I don't think i think he's trying to do things in his performance and even on the minimal rewatch i did today i think bruce willis is also trying to do interesting things in his performance that the filmmaking just like doesn't really support and just glosses over and i guess because of the by the numbers scene to scene it's hard to always say that it's the directing but you know, there's gotta be somebody that's leading the ship because of yeah. b- the by the numbers scene to scene directing. I think all of these like little idiosyncrasies within these performances get like flattened out majorly, mm-hmm. especially in the edit. Um, I don't know if yeah. you noticed this, but I-, I was really struck that this is clearly one of those Hollywood films that like follows that pace of like one beat, two beat, three beat, cut to the next shot, one oh. beat, two beat, three beat, cut to the next shot, except in the action scenes where they clearly have spent like gargantuan amounts of their budget on having planes crash and and trucks flip over and things like that um i love
0: that plane crash yeah i just gotta (laughs) briefly sidebar in here like when i say that i'm like mostly attracted to this movie because it's uh because of its like competent filmmaking that we do that that i feel like we've almost lost in hollywood what i'm really talking about is that halfway through this movie a german plane gets shot down over the camp and it's just an incredible explosion and like practical stunt set piece where everyone's ducking for cover and it just looks so good and you wouldn't do something that at that level of unflashy anymore where like if you have a big practical explosion set piece these days, it's got to be the biggest explosion anyone's ever seen in their life. And this is just a good explosion with some real fire and actual extras moving around. And it just looks so nice. And we lost that mid budget, like spectacle, I think. And that's what attracts me to this movie.
1: Can I make, can I make maybe a sweeping statement about this kind of, filmmaking that we may have lost in the yeah. last 25 or last 15 years.
0: Connor, is... have you ever known me to not make <laughs> broad sweeping statements?
1: Well, I, I haven't thought this through because I'm just thinking of it now. And I'm thinking about war films that have come out recently within the last 10 years. And I I think what's what's fun about the plane crash. And again, like what's what's engaging about the visual spectacle in this film, especially like in, in the beginning segment of it is it doesn't feel like a video game. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. It feels like it feels like an elevated version of the same filmmaking that was at play in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. And it doesn't feel like a video game. Yes.
0: <laughs> but to but to bring this back to, to Colin's performance, because this is ostensibly a Colin Farrell podcast. Um, I do kind of agree with what I think you're saying, which is that he's doing more interesting things as a performer in Tigerland he's 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 making bigger choices he's making more compelling choices but as we said in tigerland that's a very inconsistent performance and i think i mean you said you're holding a dear to my heart when i think back you know to a movie i watched 2 weeks ago i am certainly remembering the parts of that movie where he's incredibly arresting but there are large swaths of that movie where like we said he feels lost You know, he feels he feels like a kid who's who's acting less so than a fully formed person. Well, whereas this is this is a movie star ass movie star performance, and it's not super flashy, but it is supremely confident and it is. There, there are no bum notes in the performance, even if there's nothing really exciting about it. But but you, this, you've been asking like in the past couple of weeks, like why did this guy have so good of a career if he keeps having these flops? And something I kind of said when we talked about Ordinary Decent Criminal was, well, he's just so commanding of the screen, even in a nothing role. And this is finally after two, you know movies where it doesn't really work this really feels like he's confident he is comfortable it feels like a young tom cruise even if young tom is way more flashy it's I just cannot this i not wait i cannot oh wait God. to talk about this but <laughs> but just this this natural sense of comfort in front of the camera you know ability to to get through the material and i know it feels like i'm talking about baseline stuff but he's just exciting to watch in this movie even if nothing he does is exciting and i don't really have the words for it and And like i
1: said last week like when you're watching uh can't even remember american outlaws when you're watching american outlaws there's there's like this almost constant alienation where you as a viewer feel like you're watching performers out in front of the camera and not the characters themselves and you don't there is not a single second in hearts war where you feel that kind of separation between the fiction and 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 the filmmaking that like put that fiction on the screen
0: and like i think terrence howard is extraordinary in this movie i love that performance i think terrence howard's an incredible actor like Mm -hmm. never really gotten his due as a performer um i mean obviously you know some people have called him difficult there's the whole iron man 2 story which i actually think he was right To ask for more money than Robert Downey Jr. And Iron Man 2. I think that's cool. Uh, And I love divas. So God bless you, Terrence Howard. I think Terrence Howard's an incredible actor. And I think he brings um, a real, like, emotional weight to this movie. Like I was saying in that interview where, where he kind of associates the racism of the time with the racism he sees, you know, in around the turn of the 21st century. Um, that I think is the best performance in this movie, even if it's given really short shrift by the movie, but I'm not left wanting by what Colin's doing. Like I was when Clifton Collins kind of ran away with Tigerland. Like I see Terrence Howard giving a very dynamic performance and I see Colin giving a very confident performance. Those are two different styles of acting. I think Colin as a performer we're going to see does tend to actually fall in the more dynamic side than the confident side, but I am not left upset that Colin is giving such a collected performance in this movie i am excited by just how good he is at being a steady hand
1: i think this skill that you're talking about this like comfort in front of the camera is what makes him a movie star you know yeah because it's
0: it's the movie star performance is the actor's performance right
1: yes and i don't think people think about this enough like especially these silly movies that become blockbusters in hollywood which is every blockbuster in hollywood essentially these days is a silly movie where you know someone's holding a wand or they're holding a laser gun or something like that and they have to say ridiculous dialogue about uh man i I don't know about the force or something and it it requires like a movie star command of the camera to be able to say those lines in a non-laughable manner and i know that colin hasn't necessarily like taken on a lot of roles within that kind of dumbed down genre work but it is a skill that like separates a movie star from other actors and I think what you're saying about Terrence Howard is his kind of Terrence Howard is more of a live wire he's more he's more of somebody who's always going to jump out at the viewer and and almost like wake the viewer up to something that they weren't aware of beforehand. And the fact that he hasn't really had the career that he deserves makes me sad because those are the exact kind of performers that filmmakers should be cultivating throughout their like repertoire.
0: Their, 100%. You know I, mean? I mean to go back to what you're saying about needing movie stars, just to briefly tangent on to this, I think a big part of the reason why the post endgame Marvel movies haven't been working is because they don't have that same caliber of movie star talent in them. Like we can say, and I am the first person to say this, that it is like bad for the broader culture that Robert Downey Jr. turned into just a guy who does big temples, that he is a better actor than the post Iron Man run of his career. Mm. Like ended up being, but at the same time, the new Marvel movies don't have Robert Downey Jr. in them anymore. They don't have Chris Evans in them anymore. They don't have ScarJo in them anymore. And the people they're trying to elevate to those new positions don't have the juice, which is why you end up with something like Tony Leung shui giving probably the worst performances of his career in Shang-Chi couple of years ago and that also being like undeniably the best performance of any of the contemporary Marvel movies or Jolie and Salma Hayek in Eternals sleepwalking but like
1: Eternals oh, is a great uh, example of what you're talking about right yeah now. that like yeah.
0: like Angelina Jolie's great in Eternals Sama Hayek's great in Eternals Richard Madden and Gemma Chan don't have the juice and you have the juice or you don't have the juice and when you make these big silly you know close the portal in the sky movies and you don't have people who have the juice shit doesn't work
1: well when you don't have people that can overcome the silliness of yeah. like what they're being asked to do and i just think of like i know it's a different scenario but like ian McKellen crying on the set of the hobbit because he's just yeah. surrounded by green sc- green yeah. screens and he doesn't know what to interact with it's 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 Fucking difficult, man. Like, like they like in Marvel movies and Star Wars movies and and I don't know, Harry Potter movies. They're they are asked to say stupid sounding stuff. They are asked to say stuff that makes no sense. That's just like made up mumbo jumbo. They're asked to do things like Elizabeth Olsen is asked to like twirl her fingers around to make like magic spells. And like there are some people who can like apply. Some kind of a process to that, and make something believable out of it. And there are other people who are are undeniably good actors, but just when tasked with with making something out of literal nonsense, can't just they don't have any yeah. texture to hold on to.
0: I mean, to kind of bring this back to it, but like Don Cheadle is a better actor than Terrence Howard. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's that contentious of a thing to say. And I and having just said that, I love Terrence Howard. I do think Don Cheadle is a better actor than Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard's better in Iron Man than Don Cheadle is in any of those fucking movies playing the same character. I'm sorry, Don Cheadle can't do it. Terry can't. And I guess Terrence Howard doesn't have to do any of the silly stuff in the first one, but still, let's
1: just get let's just get yeah. into it um, for a second because um, he's Terrence Howard is clearly like the standout aside from like Colin in this movie for purposes of you know what we're going to talk about. I think most people who watch this movie, he's more the one that they're going to remember because he gets. He gets to say like the moving dialogue. Yes. He get you know, um, but if we're gonna talk about his career, this movie comes out at an interesting point where he's three years away from Hustle and Flow, which I think is the high point of his career.
0: Just, just so one of the best performance, one <laughs> of the best pure movie star like shining charisma performances anyone has ever give it is terrence howard and hustle and flow it might I,
1: be uh and it has nothing to do with him but three six mafia at the academy awards might be my favorite oscars moment like oh, ever that I've ever i have watched seen. <laughs> it
0: last week it is my favorite <laughs> acceptance speech juicy j just yelling memphis into the mic yeah. oh my god i also i adore that movie um
1: and that is three years away from yeah. Iron Man, the first Iron Man.
0: Where is he now? I didn't really even think about it. Well, like today, um, he—he's basically. No, 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 I mean been... now, two thousand and two. Sorry.
1: Oh, so two thousand two. So, I'm he's trying just made think. the best man. I think the first. I think he's in. He's in. Dead presidents yes. as a soldier who dies in Vietnam. Yes, and he's in mr holland's opus as as a kid who goes to vietnam and dies in vietnam jesus (laughs) so i think this is his first uh portrayal of a soldier who doesn't die um which is funny because neither of those are really i I guess dead presidents is a war movie but mr holland's opus is
0: definitely not a war movie Um, you know he's he's in the best man which is a movie i don't know if you've seen the best man best man is a masterpiece i love the best man now I was not alive in 1999. I am also white. So maybe I am missing the boat on this. I do not think of someone. I do not walk out of the best man, like thinking about how good Terrence Howard is in the best man. I do walk out of the best man thinking about how good basically everyone else is in the best man. Like, I don't think of him as being the standout of that movie. I don't know if you've seen it.
1: Yeah i I have a story. I'm wondering if I should say it on like. Um. He is. He is in the best man, which I think. Again, because because the film because the media about the film industry is so. Heavily like white educated liberal that I don't think the best man gets like talked about. I don't think the, any of. Oh those yes. Films. No. Um, no. Yeah.
0: A a, a hundred percent. We have the best man, Love
1: Jones, The Wood. Like none of those films get talked about. Love and Basketball. Love and Basketball. Oh
0: my God. Love Jones. Like, I mean, these are, you want to talk about people being hot on screen and people (laughs) being, and like good romantic comedies. There is this fucking beautiful nest egg of black rom-coms and melodramas that are strictly aimed at black audiences from the late nineties and early two thousands, all of which I, I feel like Love and Basketball finally has like gotten the due it deserves as yeah. the most romantic movie ever made. But I the rest of these probably, I probably still...
1: I think the thing about Love and Basketball that that I think has like put it in the public consciousness more in recent years is I I think the thing about Love and Basketball is it's also maybe the best sports movie that's ever been made because it it's... captures like it captures like that obs that that obsessive focus of like wanting to be good that yeah. so few sports movies actually are like capable of grasping. And I think like when I think of a when I think of athletics like on screen, I it's like the first movie that comes to my mind. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm obviously not as sportsy as you. Um I will say that I do think the two best sports movies ever made are it's either that Earth's Bull Durham and I think that the two things those movies have in common is that they're actually love stories that that take place that are about athletes and the the stuff about athletes in those movies is great but maybe the thing that I'm drawn to with both those movies is just how fucking sexy and romantic they both are um but I do think love and basketball just as incredible things to say about the role of women's sports and the ghettoization of women's sports. We are so off topic. So Terrence yeah. Howard, yeah. um, Terrence Howard's going to ping pong off this. He's going to show up in Ray and crash. So pretty quickly he ends up in this like Oscar pocket. He's not very good in crash. I like him in Ray. I think that's a fun performance. It's been a while since I've seen, uh, Ray. I don't think I'm,
1: I, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking about him in crash and like, you know, that's a difficult film to talk about at all. But I think what I enjoy about him separating it from like anything the film is trying to do, what I enjoy about him in crash is like, he's, they're allowing him to be like a fully lived in adult in that movie, which he isn't, hasn't really like had the opportunity to do like up until this point in his career. If you like, do you kind of understand what I, what I mean by that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Most of the performances in Crash are actively embarrassing. He's not actively embarrassing. He's not like tremendous. Like there are a couple performances in Crash that I think are like actually capital G greats. Uh, in that bad movie, he's not. I think hitting yeah. the heights of Tendayi Newton or Michael Pena, but he's not embarrassing himself like Sandy Bullock or Ludacris I mean, or Cheadle's okay. Fraser's bad. Good. Oh, you think Fraser's um, bad? I think Fraser's okay, bad. Seen- I think Bullock's <laughs> Bullock is the one who's really embarrassing herself in that movie.
1: I'll tell you right now, man, I am not re-watching that movie. So Don- I, the last time I saw that movie was 20 uh, 2014. I'm not gonna rewatch that then, anytime do soon.
0: you know do you know the Iron Man 2 story? Why he got recast?
1: Um, well yeah, but I, I it, I I think you'll be better at recapping the story. Yeah, but I, I want to say that is... I'm also on your side. Like, I also I also yeah. don't think he was wrong. And I think when you no. watch the first Iron Man, it's clear that like it's clear that like he's being set up for his not not just to be like a fixture within Iron Man, but to have like his own movie
0: to spin yes. off
1: of Iron Man. So I don't necessarily think you're wrong. But yeah, you can recap like the scenario of happened. So
0: I I Iron might Man. have some of the details wrong, but. My understanding of what happened and why he is recast with Don Cheadle is that Terrence Howard is, I believe, the first person actually cast in Iron Man. Um, and if you think about the cast of Iron Man, Terrence Howard is coming off an Oscar nomination and having major supporting roles in two Best Picture nominees, a be- one Best Picture winner. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is hot. He is probably at like the height of his career unless you want to count the empire like resurgence later, but he he's, he's a pretty big name when they cast him in Iron Man. My understanding is after they cast him in Iron Man, they change up their plan for the movie and instead decide to fill the rest of the roles with people who are bigger names, than Terrence Howard, who they can get for cheaper. Because if you think about it, the other big names in that movie are Downey, Paltrow, and uh, Bridges, all of whom are in major career slumps at the time. And my understanding is that because those three people, even though they're big names, are like on the down and out, they got them for cheap. And I believe because of that, Terrence Howard ended up getting paid the most for Iron Man 1. My understanding is when they (laughs) wanted to bump up Downey Jr. and Paltrow's um, salaries for Iron Man 2, because obviously they're now huge stars again, Terrence Howard either demanded that he get paid the same, or I've also sometimes heard people say that he wanted to get paid like as proportionately more than they did. As he did on the first one, well, and well,
1: that'd be kind of funny. I don't. That know. would be sure funny. I think he could get away with that. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> know.
0: That sounds like an exaggeration, but I certainly. That do sounds like
1: the... that sounds like the opening bid in a yeah. negotiation, or maybe like it, it could. Yeah. it
0: could have been the opening bid, and Feige was just like, "Fuck you, get out of yeah, here! I yeah. don't give a shit. We can replace you. You're not important." But that really slams his career in the dumps, and it doesn't really pick back up until empire really and we'll talk about him later because he's in another Colin Farrell movie um we will yeah he's in Dead Man Down I don't remember him being a dead man down but IMDB says he's in Dead Man Down well um yeah okay maybe we'll hold
1: off we'll hold off on to his kind of late stage yeah he's really been relegated to television ever since the Iron Man thing and you know maybe other like public uh I don't know what I'm trying to say um, reputation Uh, maybe like other things that like affect his public reputation
0: yeah i Um, know he has a reputation as being a diva and being difficult but i kind of just have to assume that's um that's just people being racist yeah um because i believe there was an interview a couple years ago where um lee daniels because lee daniels obviously has worked with him a lot in recent years lee daniels i believe gave an interview a few years ago where he said all the shit people say about Terrence Howard is bullshit that, that he's a good person to work with. And I don't know if that's true. Never met the guy. Uh Couldn't say, but I do think he's a very good actor. I know there's some spousal abuse stuff. He might not be a good person, but a lot of movie stars, I don't know. I'm getting my, I'm putting my foot in my mouth. now.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know if you want to go down that road. Yeah. I will say I think like anybody who's ever been around like an active film or television set especially one that's not like a low budget passion project or even like a mid-budget just a passion any set that's not a passion project i think has like the awareness if 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 what your goals are is to work hard and make things you're proud of the industry will like eventually chew you up to the point that like you will go into work at least on some job and be frustrated from the Mm -hmm. second you get there and, and be, the only time you feel relief is the second you step away um, from the set. I don't know if we have more that we want to say. I feel like we haven't talked about him much in hearts War.
0: we've been dodging it, but we do got to get to it.
1: Yeah. I, again, like he, he's probably given the most, He's probably given the most to do that I imagine. If you're like an aspirational, up and coming actor who's already been in a lot of high profile projects, he's given the most to that you would want to do. In, that in yeah, he's given the monologue in a and- world
0: where this movie is a little more expensive, a little more prestigious, and as an ex- as an extension of that, gets an Oscar push he is like your obvious supporting actor play.
1: He is the Mahershala Ali.
0: Yeah. There's a yeah. world, in a world, and obviously, like, I mean, well, I, I was about to say a Gregory Hobbit movie is not going to be an Oscar player, but obviously Primal Fear was. Yeah. But that was a case of that movie being such a sensation they couldn't ignore it. Um, but in a world where this is just a, a little more of a prestige movie, you know, you can totally see him getting, like, being a, having some mentions in Oscar discourse around this time it's the juicy performance in the movie which again to go back to this is what frustrates me about how disinterested this movie is in doing anything other than lip service to that character and the racial politics it's disgusting
1: well it's kind of it's kind of a similar thing into what I was saying about Colin like breathing stuff into his performance that the film doesn't support as a whole I think I think what I'm thinking about in like terms of their casting and the juxtaposition of their casting is like so heart the character thomas Hart is like he's a privileged outsider who's like thrown into this this environment and this scenario that he clearly is has not been prepared for and is clearly not of the same like pre-experience as all the men that he's around so and he's he's trying to learn as much about the way that they act and think as he is about like what his own goals are and and what his purpose is within that environment, and I think casting in a film that's full of Americans, casting a young Irish person who who has um admitted to to not knowing as much about American history and as much about um like the actual long-standing intangibles of american racism um which no fault to him like how could he 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 lived he spent his whole life in dublin like you can't expect him to know these things i i think i think that does like kind of breathe into the character in a good way Yeah, and i think similarly like similarly terrence howard's casting as he's he's clearly somebody who has his own well thought out, highly intellectualized thoughts about his own race and what that means for him within an industry that has a long standing issue with racism, or at least with racial issues that are maybe not dealt with correctly. I mean, not maybe that aren't dealt with correctly, and still to this day aren't dealt with correctly. And I think he i think the thing about again like you said in that interview with what was it like movies.com or something like that hollywood.com i think hollywood.com is that for whatever reason it seems like scott is the only one in this film that like understands the situation that he's put in he understands that like if you're a black man and you've been accused of murdering a white man, that there is no manslaughter, it's just murder, yeah. and you're going to be hanged. Like, there's no option other than that. And I think Howard's casting um as an individual who's, like, very aware of these things and has clearly, like, thought about it intensively over his lifetime, I think, aids in, in his performance standing out amongst the rest. Despite... Yeah. Also having like the fun stuff to do on top of it.
0: Well, fun in quotation marks, but
1: <laughs> I think fun excited. for exciting. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Like this is what the, the things the, the monologue is like why you become an actor.
0: For yeah, it's yeah, it's a juicy monologue. It's it's a it's a really, really strong about, and, monologue.
1: And, and just to to recap it, he basically, while he's on trial in the court martial, he he speaks about how when he was um in, in training, right? When he's in training in Tuskegee. 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 Um, Tuskegee to become a Red Wing pilot, which he also plays a Red Wing pilot in the movie Red Tails. He does? He's like uh, that dude from Top Gun that only plays aviators nowadays. Glenn, um, Glenn Powell? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> who was, you know, uh, astronaut. Yeah. Did uh, you Top see? Top Gun in that other one that came out. This did year. you see but the motion? Wait, wait, wait. Um, I just want to recap. He he speaks about how when he was in basic training, there were German POWs there and they were allowed to just walk around the town and do things that actual black Americans were not allowed to do in the American South. They were allowed to go in the same movie theaters as white people. They were allowed to go in the same restaurants, use the same bathrooms, any kind of public facility. And they were, they were prisoners of war (laughs) that came from Europe and they were allowed to do these things that he had not ever been allowed to do as an American citizen. And Again, like, that's kind of a monologue that I think actors dream of being able to give one day in a big movie, a movie with a $70 million budget in the year 2002.
0: There's also this really lovely moment, and lovely is a bad word, but really affecting moment in that monologue where he says something to the effect of, like, despite the fact that he's an officer, everyone's just looking for an opportunity to make him a cook or make him a driver or make him a janitor, that he has to to constantly be, like, on his best... Like not not even best behavior, but highest achieving uh, Because otherwise he'll be relegated to servant work Did you see Devotion? I the Glenn Powell movie? Yeah. I will say, just to not make it sound like Hollywood movies are 100% Jonathan Majors on, is in that, right? Jonathan Majors, John Majors is yeah. tremendous in that Glenn Powell is also very good in that movie There is a reason not to get into spoilers But there is absolutely... An important reason that that movie is as much, if not more so, about the white man who befriends the okay. you know heroic black aviator. But at the same time, it is kind of a little disheartening that Jonathan Major's really first big juicy studio leading role, he is relegated to being, at best co-lead and honestly at worst the second lead to glenn powell a great a great actor who i think is lovely and that movie is lovely and glenn powell's in it great in it and tr- major's tremendous in it but it is kind of irritating that this is the story that they wanted to tell the one that inherently had to be more about the white guy
1: and you're talking about devotion right? devotion
0: yeah yeah, yeah okay
1: yeah. Uh, well i'll keep that in mind when i you know <laughs> i'm trying to get through i'm on to um Well, I've been kind of plowing through Spielberg because I I told myself for whatever reason, I wanted to rewatch every film before watching. Okay, so I've been doing that, which is hopefully going to come in handy next week. Yeah. Uh, But I started to work once I got through my mini Willis-a-thon. I've started the cruise-a-thon to prepare for next week as well. So I'm trying to hit a moment where, you know, we hit Schumacher again. I don't have to like watch stuff aside from what we're preparing for and i'll, I'll start knocking off yeah. the 2022 films i haven't seen um, uh devotion
0: devotion has better aerial photography than top gun maverick it's gonna put that out really? there well it has some aerial photography which puts it above top gun maverick a oh. movie about <laughs> men sitting in cockpits and one woman sitting in a cockpit you actually see exterior shots of planes flying in devotion this is my biggest Do you fucking you think they got the
1: up. shot do you think they got the shot like Howard Hughes in the aviator sitting outside the cockpit of a twin <laughs> propeller airplane Maybe. with the camera in his hand?
0: Uh, no, um, I think Devotion is a nice, sturdy war movie. We're not talking about Devotion. We're talking about Hearts spore um, you know Yeah, you in Hearts war,
1: go ahead. do you want to get into it?
0: Well, go, well you I said wanna, what you were going to say.
1: I think, well, I, there's a couple of things. I think we need to finish off talking about Colin um, for sure before we get oh, yeah.
0: Oh, what do you think story? of the accent?
1: That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I I this one the on on watching it, I was like I actually think it's fitting considering like the inherent like anachronistic qualities of period film period piece filmmaking. Um and again, he is he is playing somebody who is alien to like all of the men that he's surrounded by. Um which is like overbearingly pointed out by the amount of times that they referenced the Waldorf hotel and mm-hmm. this, which I don't think is like a repeated callback that pays off in any way no. whatsoever. Um, he, I think, I think ha- having the base Irish accent and doing an Americanized not transatlantic but you can tell he's got that like new england upper crust new england feel that like the kennedys had except yes. not as exaggerated i think it works um yes. well how did you feel about it
0: i think more so um more so than that it works it's it's very comfortable even if it's not the best technically executed accident i've ever heard we were we were talking a lot in the past couple episodes about how like the, the poor quality accents in Tigerland and especially Outlaws really feel like almost a synecdoche for his performances in there, like either shaky yes, or completely yes. disinterested. And like again, yes. <laughs> is this the most technically precise accent I've ever heard? No. Do I hear the Irish loat like dripping in a couple of times? Yes. Does it ever feel like he's struggling with the accent? No, it, it, it feels confident and consistent and like functional in a way that I think speaks to the sort of comfort in the movie star role that we've been addressing.
1: Can I, can I point something out that I've been thinking about a lot? And I, was, out. I think I think we kind of as a country forget when we watch movies is that. Almost every American that lives in this country has a different voice yes. and a different pattern of speech, yes. which I think is what makes the American accent so difficult for yes. Europeans. Um and I th- I think you can give a lot of it's it's you can't do it in American Outlaws. He's just speaking with the Irish accent, yeah. really. He's just speaking with like a, a partially muted Irish accent. And it's difficult in Tigerland because Boz is from Texas. So you know when the when the heavy Texas draw is faltering into Dublin night yeah. speak, it's difficult. But when he's I also, playing a northeastern American, yeah. I don't. You can have a little bit of Irish in there, and it doesn't yes. sound. Oh off yes, 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 100%. at all. Yeah.
0: I also just want to once get hit this point, even when it's not drifting into the the Irish. That is a bad Texas accent he is doing in Land. I really just have to keep getting <laughs> yes, yes. He does not sound like no, a no, Texan, He I sounds <laughs> like a Georgian. I will not
1: argue yeah. with you. Um, can I I will say I, oh
0: No, go go because I it. want to change the subject. I want to change the subject. Is it about
1: I I will I want to say something about the accent.
0: Say something about the based accent. It's on my research. Go okay. on.
1: So, again, the accent didn't bother me. And I don't think I don't think it doesn't work because the film never gets into what I'm about to say. Yeah. But Heart's War is uh, adapted from a novel of the same yes. name by John Katzenbeck. Who which I have a fun trivia fact about. <laughs> the son of Nicholas Katzenbeck, who was the uh, attorney general and later secretary of state under LBJ, who um, interned in the same Stalag Three that The Great Escape took place in. And and a lot of what's happening in this film is taken from um, things that happened in Nicholas's life that he told Jonathan Mm -hmm. before Jonathan wrote the book. Um, And, but I think what throws it off to me is if Hart is supposed to be Nicholas Katzenbeck, Discovering that Nicholas Katzenbeck is from Trenton, New Jersey, because his father, <laughs> because his father, Edward L. Katzenbeck, was the attorney general of New Jersey, like for the beginning part of <laughs> Nicholas's life. And I think considering that he's supposed to play a man from New Jersey really throws it off for me, especially when if you're thinking about a man who was raised in Trenton. And I'm also going to get into this later, possibly Bruce Willis has spent a lot of his life. Outside Philadelphia, New Jersey, they should sound exactly the same. They should have sure. the same voice, essentially. <laughs> I, if,
0: I think...
1: if you if you if you go down the rabbit hole into believing that Thomas Hart is Nicholas Katzenbeck, he should sound exactly like Bruce Willis in the film.
0: <laughs> I think I am only I, I get the point you're making, and I respect the Jersey pride. Um <laughs> I I think the only uh Disagreement I would have in that is that whether or not they still were at the time, um,
1: no, I'm sure they weren't. Yeah, I'm sure I they, believe, spoke, I'm sure they it, sounded yeah, a lot no, more like the way Collins. I, some, I
0: believe okay. Katzenbach is a Jewish name, and like whether or not they were still Jewish or, um, or at, like their historical figures were at the time, or if they had become wasps who who like retained that name. Um, There's a difference between having your character Be named Katzenbach and having your character Be named Hart you know what I'm saying That like changing that that history And I will say this is my trivia fact Uh, MGM Bought this movie when the Novel was still being written Um, And One of their big notes was that they made him Change the title because He wanted this to be called Grant's War And they thought that was made it sound Like a Civil War book um, but even, even with that case, like, yeah, they made him change it to Hart, but he wanted it to be grant. Like you're kind of making these, these names much, much waspier and more upper crust than cats and back. So I do respect the Jersey pride though.
1: I don't, I, I, I would be, I don't know if they're Jewish. Oh, they could just be, they could just be German or Polish. German, but still it's yeah.
0: especially around the turn of the, 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 The early 20th century you know
1: well so Um, the the older the the grandfather of jonathan i'm looking at his wikipedia right now he was born in 1878 and he went to princeton
0: maybe yeah maybe i'm wrong but
1: sure he because princeton was led by woodrow wilson this is true and that's that is my
0: point that they might have like ended up becoming wasps and just retaining the name but you have to concede that especially we're talking about people in this era, there is a difference between having your movie be about, you know, an upper crust kid named Hart and an upper crust kid named Katzenbach, or no, Grant definitely. and Katzenbach. No,
1: I I yeah. don't disagree with you at all. I was just saying yeah. in terms of the accent. Yeah. I think I don't think I I would I would be surprised to find out that they'd. S- sounded ethnic in the way that they spoke you know what i mean i i yeah, imagine they maybe. probably sounded a lot more like colin does in the movie like yeah. they actually probably sound that unintentionally they probably sounded a lot like colin in the movie back in the 1920s
0: can i just rewind a bit and just like poke at something that you said like five minutes ago for a second yeah go for it because because this i think is a good example and this this can Bounces, I think, into the the elephant in the room We haven't been talking about (laughs) somehow Um, You mentioned that there's a runner about the Waldorf And what that is Is that people in this movie Keep kind of sardonically comparing The horrible conditions that they're in To, um, you know, the Waldorf Or fancy department stores Or just kind of this very upper crust urban, you know you know, bourgeois of an um, like society that Colin Farrell's character is going to be coming from, right?
1: Yes, I think when Farrell okay, so when Farrell arrives at the camp, um, he's uh uh, McNamara who's Bruce Willis is like kind of doing the debrief of him about how his interrogation went everything like that and McNamara tells him don't eat the bread too fast it can really wreck your stomach after 17 days of no food and and Hart replies the infirmary after the trek I just went on the infirmary might feel like the Waldorf to me and then once he ends up in the barracks he he in the beginning of the film Hart loses his shoes and he doesn't have boots he just has like broken shoes that don't fit and bedford um before it becomes apparent that he's like a horrible racist and and nazi and and compliant with the nazis at the camp um asks asks him what shoe size he is implying that he could get him a pair of boots within the camp and i think Hart replies is there a sax out behind the barracks or something like if if it's not sax it's literally just the and insert any other big Fifth Avenue department store. Um, and again, these references come back over and over and over again to point out his his like privileged status among the rest of them as somebody who like did frequent these places.
0: This is the point I want to make though, because I think this is a good example of how like thematically muddled the script to this movie is because I believe unless there's a later mention to it, the capper to this running gag, if you want to call it that, or whatever you want to call it, is a bit where Colin is talking to, I'm blanking on the character's name, but a captain, one of the other officers who is um Willis's right hand man, and Hart says, you know, I'm glad I'm not at the Waldorf. This sense yes, that yeah. he has like accepted his role and is becoming a better person. Here's the issue that him saying that leads into this guy explaining to, to Hart that McNamara sussed out the lie immediately and (laughs) kind of breaking down this sense that Hart had acted dishonorably and had not acted as an officer should have both in betraying the information to the Nazis and in lying to his commanding officer about it. And that's why he's beginning the cold shoulder this whole time. And theoretically, That should be the thing. And I think the movie intends that conversation to be the thing that leads to him becoming this more moral figure and kind of making the heroic sacrifice or attempting to make the heroic sacrifice at the end and volunteering to be executed. But if he's already uh, like capped off the Waldorf running gag by saying he's glad he's here before the movie has tried to impart that lesson to him, like that's why it's all falling apart Because your mm-hmm. cause and effect all, I'm, I'm not even like Asking this movie on a script level To be like this really nuanced Rich text I just feel like this is A basic sense of When characters are supposed to learn lessons In a very hackney screenwritery way is just off kilter in this movie And I think it's because You know I, I saw an interview somewhere With Billy Ray who wrote this Who was like I'm sorry, like the hack screenwriter of hack screenwriters. He's done some good (laughs) stuff. But he said he never read the book because by the time he came onto this script, it had gone through so many revisions that he was just like, I'm not starting even remotely from the place of adaptation. I just got to put this together. But this feels like a script that has like been so overworked and reheated that it has become kind of like, a thematic and structural mess in a way that you lead to these little things like the Waldorf bit getting paid off a scene before it should. And that's how I think how you end with the the racial stuff getting paid short shrift.
1: I don't know about a scene, but if you're just thinking about like actual, like there's not a lot of comedy. Is there any comedy in this?
0: Not really. I think
1: that's a major, that's a major I think that's a major complaint of the way Colin is used in this film is that he's not allowed to do anything witty or, um, yeah, or comedic in any way. Um, but, but like, if you're just thinking about the rules of comedy, any rule of comedy, like referencing the Waldorf five times within 12 minutes on the screen and paying it off, like immediately just doesn't, Mean yeah. anything at all? And by the time, by the time he says it in the scene you're talking about, he's talking to a character played by Linus Roach. It, Linus I, Roach, thank like you. he says, he says the Waldorf, and I'm just like, I roll my eyes immediately. I'm like, well, this guy just stop talking about the Waldorf. Like, I don't want to hear it anymore. You know.
0: All right, Connor, uh, and I think I am as much to blame for this as as you are. uh We gotta fucking talk about Bruce Willis in this movie. <laughs> we do. He's first built, even though he's got maybe less screen time than Terrence Howard does.
1: He is and he's really not allowed to do much in this movie, other than like sure look stoic. Yeah.
0: Sure. I agree with that. But also it's he's incredible in this movie.
1: Yeah, he is. Yeah.
0: Like this <laughs> especially is especially when talking you think about,
1: about... And I mean, it's it's so hard. It's so hard. I, when when did the announcement about his health come out? Was that? Uh, that was about a year
0: ago, maybe a little more. But yeah, he's, yeah th- this is well. It's before. so.
1: It's so hard to talk about him in general after that. But we're dealing. We're dealing before that announcement comes out. We're dealing oh, yeah. with like a thirteen-year stretch of him being referred to as like the most difficult aging movie star to work with. Who. Like shows up not knowing his lines and <laughs> can derail like an entire film that he's supposed to be the lead of. Yeah. Um. So to watch him like actually give a shit is he's he's a great actor. He, he's he's great an actor.
0: incredible yeah. actor. And this yeah. also, this this era of Bruce Willis, and I would say this is probably at the tail end of this era. Um, I think probably by the time he's doing like Oceans Twelve and Sin City. Uh, he starts to, like, transition into more of a character actor role role uh, as a performer, even if he's a leading man still. That kind of segues nicely into the direct-to-video stuff. But this era of Bruce Willis, which in my mind runs from, like, 12 monkeys to oh, 12 probably, monkeys. like...
1: 95 95 right to this or
0: tears of the sun where he has kind of aged out of the baby face has kind of left a lot of the like comedy blues man stuff behind and is really like leaning into this like craggly grizzled energy this is my favorite run of bruce willis and i think you're just getting banger performance after banger performance like I i will rattle them off for you this this run, which is yeah, okay, go for it. Twelve Monkeys, The Fifth Element, Armageddon, Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and then this and like there's stuff in there that I haven't seen either. But like he's just just knocking him out of the park every time. I think, and even in a movie like this where he's really just being asked to do like a Clint Eastwood impression, like if this guy, and even if this is kind of I think the movie's major fault, but this character is supposed to be, like, the pure bastion of, you know, upstanding moral American values and patriotism, right? Would you agree?
1: Yes. And I think – I have a couple theories. I don't know if I yeah. want to get into them right now, But
0: I think, have, I think that's yeah, actually kind of hard to pull that off with this much well, confidence. The,
1: the thing is he's not, though, in I reality, think he is the character
0: i think the character character? ends up being that guy
1: okay i'm gonna go i have i'm gonna go into my second point like my second mate like we we talked about the movie i want to just stray off from a second because i think this is it has to deal with his character specifically um but at first i like again i i was i don't know if i was nearly offended or genuinely offended um by uh, the way that the trial like structurally within the film is just a diversion that was put into play by McNamara and the other officers within the yes. camp again, to create a diversion so that they could sneak out escape and sabotage an, an ammunition factory that I, I can't even tell if it's in the camp or beside the camp. It's in, um, it's in
0: the camp. It's so a very
1: convoluted. It is yeah. a super convoluted like yeah. choreography. So the, to what's going the, the on camp,
0: here. The camp is split into two halves, an American side and a Russian side. Mm -hmm. And the Russians are are treated more, there's more of like a slave labor sense there, where they're being forced to work in a munitions factory, while the Americans kind of just hang out. And so that's what's going on. They need to basically go underneath the fencing that separates the two halves of the camp.
1: I think that plot, that like the plot within the narrative, defangs the film of this like intent that it has to be like an indictment about the way Americans treat each other even in even in this like like dire situation that's almost like post-apocalyptic because (laughs) but then but then this is what I was talking about in the beginning where it's like the more you think about it the more you can start like making insights but I don't think those are insights that the film is making is like there is there is partially a sense where like this is the way institutionalized racism works yes. where it's not necessarily people being hateful in an in, in, in interpersonal ma- manner from person to person but they're like weaponizing the the issue of racism the, the dynamics of racism to to achieve some kind of bureaucratic or political or economic like advantage that they're trying to get a hold
0: yes, 100%. of. yes a hundred percent
1: and that like
0: you're you're racism you're putting more thought is, into this than in the movie has, Connor. You're putting no, more that's, into exactly the what I'm saying.
1: that's exactly what I'm saying. But like that 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 again, it's like that racism is infused within these structures, within these systems that yes. we have. But I think the problem is that like it it paints racism as existing only performatively, unless you're talking about Bedford. Yes, is like the only character in the film that's like non performatively racist, and I think that negates like anything important that the film has to say about american racism and I think what what makes it an issue is because like the plot twist I don't know if it's twist like the plot reveal the revelation that this is what's happening behind the scenes is meant to like it's it's meant to to be victorious in a way to be like they weren't this bad all along look they were they were only yes. doing this to achieve something good but that's still bad
0: oh no <laughs> you know I, I, mean? I i i yeah. agree with that a hundred percent but i do so think... i don't
1: think i guess what i'm saying is i don't think he can be like a bastion of like america well, no
0: because but i i do think that because at the end of the movie he comes back and he does the right thing. And he, he manages to like almost super heroically square the circle between detonating, destroying the munitions factory and not letting any of his men take the fall for it. That he's the one who's going to be executed, right? That that he pulls everything off and does the right thing at the end of the movie. I do think that's the sense the movie is meaning to leave you with that, like here's this great man who maybe like had some moral failings, but the moral failings were only because he cared so much about the greater ideal. And he ultimately overcomes these moral failings and imparts that wisdom onto Colin Farrell and Colin Farrell is now more like him. I don't think that's a great character. I think the movie kind of stumbles over its sense to get to that point. Well, I need to poke a hole
1: though. Yeah. Which is that all of this begins because he refuses to let Archer and Scott into the officers. Yes,
0: character. but I, again, like I think, I think this yeah. is what I think. I, I think the movie thinks that that is the like that is the character flaw that he has overcome by the end of it. Okay, to, to some degree, that's the point I'm trying to make. Is I think the, the movie holds him in this high regard.
1: I guess my yeah. issue then and your if you put it in ter- those terms it's again it's like this this movie has a huge issue perspective which is like it's funny huge! that it's, called, it's it's funny it's funny cuz like we're not even talking about the perspective of the black character we're talking about the perspective of of the man who seems to make a more to, to, that seems to have a more meaningful character arc and who seems to be having a more a more meaningful, like, internal conflict than Hart is actually having, like, throughout the film. Like, yeah. everything that McNamara has to deal with dwarfs everything that McNamara has to deal with. Oh, 100%. In, and insane magnitudes.
0: Truly, yeah. truly, the, the most interesting scene in this movie is when Hart has found out that this whole trial is just a, a tactic to buy them time to pull off their sabotage mission. And that they know going into this, because McNamara is the judge because he's the highest presiding officer. He knows that Scott's going to die and he is totally fine with sacrificing Scott. If it can mean the mission can go ahead. The most interesting scene in the movie is when Hart finds this out. He goes to Scott and he says, um, This is what's happening. This is why you're doing it. But the way they have it set up means that you can escape when it all goes down and you're going to be fine. And Scott sits there, listens to it. And I totally believe this. Is this kind of (laughs) paternalistic and cheap? Yes. The most interesting scene in the movie is when Scott is told that Scott says, if I escape, they get attention brought into them. I will gladly die if 35 men can get out and we can destroy this munitions factory. I don't know. The movie think... kind of blows past that. Yeah. But that's such an interesting wrinkle.
1: I want to bring that up too, because I think that is a like a huge failing of the movie, the way that Scott reacts to this knowledge. Because it's not again, it's not the movie wants you to believe that this is Hart telling Scott like this is not about you being black like this is just like sure. a machination of the officers and this is like our duty as soldiers but like when in reality like this he's still there because of the way that like maybe not the officers but at least the the men in the enlisted barracks like yes. refuse to bunk with him and refuse you know what i mean so it's like i don't understand why he why scott in that situation would be like Oh, man, I'm going to help all of these men who hate me get home alive, you know, or th- like win this war. It's I mean,
0: I it think feels some de- very unearned. I think to some degree, like I said, it is a little paternalistic because yeah. it's the sense that like he, the black man, is the more like most morally upstanding yeah. of all of them, that he sees the importance of this and, and won't let personal grievances in air quotes um, blind him to that. But I also think when I say it's the most interesting thing, it, it invites a more interesting movie, right? Like like a, a better movie can pull that off. But you, you sit there and that that made me start to think of like, oh, the movie that – what if the movie actually cared about racism and was about Scott and wanted to build to this moment where he's willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for the people who hate him?
1: That would that, – And again, that's – That would be very interesting. But the Yeah, film doesn't that, that's what
0: I mean when I say it's interesting. That, and it yeah. really took me – Bring this back to Willis, though. The point I was trying to make is that does the movie give him that much to do? No. Do I think he is kind of an overly simplistic character because of the way the movie wants to paint him as this great American hero? Yes, but he's just so excited to watch on screen that I think you buy it. And it overcomes how poorly the character is written. That 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 I'm kind of willing to go with him there, and it's just an incredible movie star performance. But also that he's never like blowing uh, Colin Farrell out of the water. No, you know, like I think it's actually and part kind of, of a that is genuinely
1: part of that is generally Colin being yes. able to hold his own. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, um, I watched part of his interview with Charlie Rose yeah. around the time this came out, and I was. In in no information, no like written information of the film on the internet, I was able to find this. But in the Charlie Rose interview, Charlie Rose states that they had originally offered the part to Harrison Ford and other Harrison Ford types in Hollywood before it landed to Willis. And Willis states that he was the last person he thinks that they cast before they went off to the Czech Republic sure. to start shooting.
0: He's yeah. more expensive than those guys. Harrison Ford went in the disastrous. It would have
1: been crazy. A- <laughs> it would have been a- crazy. Man. A-
0: a- an actor yeah. I like, but an actor who absolutely will give nothing to his younger co stars.
1: And I also think there's a- yeah. an aspect of Willis that, again, like in a very important part of this film, plot speaking, is that McNamara was able to withstand a month of torture before they Because he's Superman. Him yeah. And there are not many other movie stars Willis's age who could. I think pull off that kind of reputation on screen, like real or uh, realistically, not realistically, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't think Ford could pull that off as like Ford withstood a month of torture, but Colin Farrell can't withstand a month of torture. Mm -hmm. But you do understand that like Bruce Willis can withstand a month of torture, but Colin Farrell is having issues getting past three days, yeah.
0: I think that this character is so both inconsistently and ludicrously written, yet Willis is so exciting on screen, is a credit to him as a performer. And I do think you have to get to this question, is it his job as an actor or as a movie star to make the character better and more nuanced than it is on the page? Or is it job, is his job to do what the movie wants him to do? Right. Like, who is the author of this film? Is it Willis or is it Hoblet? And if you think it's Hoblet, then you kind of have to accept that Willis is absolutely like fleshing out and living out this poorly written character. And I think that is to his credit as a performer, that he does the thing he's asked of perfectly.
1: I think as you know, it's hard. Again, neither of us are professional actors i think we both have interest have a little in the training art. well we're not you and i are <laughs> yeah. on the stage like every no. week no you know doing this but we both have a, a pretty like deep-rooted interest in like the actual process of acting and i think there's something about i think th- i think there's something about like if you are a movie star your first priority is always to the needs of the film and that's what yes. makes great movie stars great like but it, I don't think there's ever a moment where people of this caliber who care this much about the craft, like he did at the time, maybe not later in his career, but at the time he clearly was this involved with what he was doing. Like as his, he was, he was so emotionally and intellectually involved with the work he was taking on around this time after the sixth sense and unbreakable. Um, He's so fucking good at success that I don't think I don't think you can ever go into a role and say it stops when I fulfilled the needs of the film. I think all these actors go past past that.
0: Sure. What's your favorite Bruce Willis performance? Well, I was
1: I was gonna say I think we should do Mount Rushmore. You want to do Mount Rushmore? You pick two. I pick two. That's the the above the the above the title uh, guarantee Mount Rushmore for Bruce Willis. Okay.
0: You want to go first? But you or want me to go first?
1: You just go one, and then okay. I'll go one. I'm just going to. Go one, go
0: one. I'm going to be boring,
1: <laughs> well, I but mean,
0: I just want to make sure that yeah. our desire to be flashy does not overrule this, and we have to put Die Hard in the. I was position.
1: gonna, I, I, man. I, maybe I should have taken the first spot because I want you to pick a fun one. I mean, dude, if, there are no action movies like Die Hard anymore. Die Hard Die Hard is amazing man. Die Hard is incredible
0: Die Hard has one of the most perfect screenplays of any movie ever yes. made. Not just yes. could come out of Hollywood. Ever made. Here's the thing about Die Hard and this is something the sequels I think falter about. And and obviously a lot of it is that Willis is just so locked in. The first thing John McClane does in that movie is jump behind a desk The last thing John McClane does in that movie is wrap a fire hose around his body and Tarzan swing around the side of a skyscraper firing a machine gun. At no point does any single element to ramp up from point A to point Z feel unearned, right?
1: Yeah. Bulletproof
0: screenplay. I'm sorry. I know it's the boring choice, but I, I have to say it
1: you know you know what the best about Die Hard is i was watching in country which i think is the year before this could be completely wrong i need to look this up as i'm talking but while you're I looking at up, um no in is the year after okay. but even even then it's in country is this film where it's he plays like the uncle of a of a girl whose father died in vietnam and willis's character they're from like the deep south and he's got like a mullet and like a handlebar mustache and he plays this like horribly traumatized vet from vietnam and to watch him have as much fun as he's having in die hard is like what makes that film an internal rewatch. you can watch that movie every day for the rest of your life and you'll there'll be something you'll have a good time watching it you,
0: you know do you know who the first person they offered die hard to us i do not know this is my favorite piece of trivia Of all time My my, my broader favorite piece of trivia of all time Is that Die Hard 5 is the only Die Hard movie that is written to be a Die Hard movie Um, So it it is Oft told that Bruce Willis was like basically the last Person they went to after everyone Else in Hollywood turned them down to make Die Hard And what you will often hear is that Die Hard was originally conceived as being Commando 2 They wanted Arnie. That was very early in the process. But here's the thing. Die Hard is based on a novel. That novel is a sequel to another novel. The first novel, which I'm not going to name, had been made into a movie. And legally, the star of that movie had refusal rights on a sequel. I have so this before, before I they could it take it to Arnie, before they could even consider legally calling it Commando Two as a project, they in fact did have to offer Die Hard to like a billion-year-old Frank Sinatra. Oh my god! Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: but no, Die Hard, Die Hard was that, and then they wanted it to be Commando Two. Die Hard Two is a screenplay that had been bouncing around Hollywood for a while that gets rewritten to be Die Hard Two because it's. So obviously, like Die Hard, Die Hard Three is an it's unused Simon says lethal... right, yeah, unused Lethal Weapon screenplay. No, 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 not Simon says. It's an unused it Die Hard screenplay.
1: Three was Simon says. It was originally it titled at some Simon point, says, but because you know, there's like that yeah. they're getting the calls yeah. and they have to do what the other group. But are... at
0: some point, they wanted that to be Lethal Weapon Three, which is why there's an older, grumpy black man in that movie. And then Die Hard Four actually almost shot as a standalone action movie, but when 9/11 happened, they got scared of making movies about terrorists. Okay. Who's your first pick for Mount Rushmore?
1: Okay. So number two on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. I'm this, I know you're probably not going to agree with this as number two, but you'll get to pick number three and number four. We'll both agree. No, we're snake. We're snake
0: silent. You're going three. I'm going four.
1: It's, oh, I'm going three. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that makes number two even that much easier It's yeah. genuinely my second favorite performance by him And that's Death Becomes Her, Robert Zemeckis, 1992
0: Interesting, I would personally not put it on my Mount Rushmore But it is a great performance It He's is so genuinely
1: funny. my second favorite performance by him yeah. It is one of, the, it. I think it's fair to say it's one of the funniest performances it's like hilarious in any...
0: <laughs> This is going to be a weird Mount Rushmore Because I is. know what my next choice is
1: Okay, number three, yeah. I'm going The Sixth Sense
0: Sure, incredible <laughs> Yeah. It's probably his
1: most his it's probably his most emotionally involved, I think, performance, right?
0: I'm just, yeah, I mean, it's just such a a beautiful moving, like real human being. If if McLean is like this pop art, you know, majestic icon, right? Who loves Roy Rogers and, and, and Death becomes her is just like a fucking Looney Tunes ass human cartoon <laughs> performance. It's so funny.
1: He's full Tony Shalhoub in Death. Yeah,
0: her. I love that. Yeah. He's just so lived in and human and real in the sixth sense. I do think it's a better performance than Unbreakable. I think you're right. But my last pick, and this is why this is going to be a weird, because <laughs> okay, just to point out, our our Bruce Willis. Our Bruce Willis uh, Mount Rushmore is not going to include Twelve Monkeys, Armageddon, The Fifth Element, Unbreakable. This is my oh, favorite man. Bruce Willis performance, easily my favorite Bruce Willis performance, unquestionably. It's also the only non-lead. I guess we can quibble on Death Becomes Her uh, that we're including here. Uh, yeah, Four spot, uh, spot. Death Becomes
1: Her. I would argue doesn't yeah. have. I would argue Maybe. doesn't have a lead.
0: Four so, spot on the yeah. Bruce Willis Mount Rushmore's Moonrise Kingdom. His best performance.
1: Oh my god, I love you. Such, I love you man. It's <laughs> such
0: a it's not just his best performance but like barring like Jeffrey Wright in The Fresh Dispatch, like maybe the best performance anyone has given in a Wes Anderson movie. It is so such a heartbreaking thing especially with like the fact that like now 10 years on we know that it's just gonna be downhill from here and that is just such a man who feels like he's his life is over you know that like Nothing's ever going to be good for him again He has this one thing that might matter Which is this affair he's having With this woman who honestly doesn't even care about him And it's just oh, it's, it's a heartbreaking performance It's the a way, beautiful performance
1: The way he, his character jumps into action At the end of the film oh, Gets me every time
0: It's okay? God I don't think he's my Oscar winner that year But he might have to be I might have to take it from McConaughey And give it to Willis for Moonrise so do you have anything right, else to say? I, I, yeah, have I have something to say. Something I yeah, want to go. introduce
1: to the pod. Sure. So Bruce Willis was born. A in Germany. Was born I in Germany, know that. son of a of a US Army soldier. Okay. Um, he, he's, he he you know cares very much about soldiers and veterans, very publicly supportive of them. Um, takes some of these roles, I'm sure, in part because of his devotion to them. Um, but was raised in Carney's Point, New Jersey. Oh God, fuck off Went to, he studied <laughs> drama at Montclair State University Which is in New Jersey Okay And I just want you to imagine this Like the wall in the pizzeria And do the right thing <laughs> I'm gonna do going to the introduction of the NJ wall fame baby
0: Once you enter this family no getting now.
1: yeah baby so bruce willis he's in the he's he's our first inductee to the nj wall of Fame. we we missed somebody earlier but i don't i don't think they would have made it okay anyways um
0: i don't think of bruce willis as being a new jersey guy but clearly i'm looking well, at it he is
1: well here's the deal man he's on the edge of the wall he's not going to be in the middle It's solely because he grew up in the part of Jersey that's outside Philly. He's most likely an Eagles fan. So he's not, he's not like in the middle of the wall. Like he's only off on the, on the side, but he's still on the wall. He's still on the wall.
0: Uh, Are we going to get into a fight as to whether or not Colin Farrell deserves placement in the New Jersey hall of fame because of the penguin.
1: (laughs) no man no man this is just personal life we're talking about here all right all right there's a surprise coming up though not in this episode but there's a surprise coming up bruce
0: willis bruce willis first mount rushmore inductee first new jersey hall of fame inductee we salute you
1: no the wall of fame because it's in a pizza restaurant the
0: wall of fame (laughs) it's not the hall of fame we salute you
1: the the person we missed um was linda fiorentino but i don't i'm not sure
0: yeah okay Love her. Love her. Yeah. So just a thing I wanted to say about this movie that I think is kind of interesting, and then we can get into why it kind of bombed. Um, this movie was originally supposed to be Alfonso Cuaron directing. Because he's still kind of in the Hollywood muck when he does this. He quits to go do *Itumama Tambien*.
1: This would be coming um, off of Great Expectations. Great, great Expectations or The Little
0: end. Princess. I can't remember which one's which. But, you know, he's making Hollywood movies. Um yeah. And what's interesting is and
1: he makes a Harry Potter only like well after Ichimama y- that? But years
0: that's after, that after Ichumama yeah. yeah. Um yeah,
1: yeah.
0: When, when Alfonso Coron was attached to make this movie, Ed Norton was supposed to play Hart, which oh. I think is interesting because Edward Norton gets his first and maybe only no, he has two. His first Academy Award nomination is famously for his first performance in Gregory Hoblet's uh Primal Fear.
1: It's the second one uh, Birdman?
0: Oh, no. He's been three. American History X.
1: American History X. Um, but I
0: think I think it's interesting that <laughs> Gregory yeah. Hoblit comes on this movie and his big discovery as a filmmaker leaves the project. And, you know, I have not heard any stories about Primal Fear, but Edward Norton is famously a bit of a control freak who fights with his directors a lot. So I just wonder if there's something going on there.
1: I find it I I can't speak to that at all, but I do find it interesting in the Hoblet sense that he at two two pivotal points in his career because I think this is the in terms of scale this is the biggest biggest movie he had made. Um, I mean, yeah. clearly for most directors it's their World War II movie is the biggest yeah. movie that they make because they have to have the planes and the barracks and everything something like that. Um, but I think in his probably his two most pivotal movies he took on, like basically actors who haven't like been a mainstay of the Hollywood machine yet.
0: Well, Ed Norton, I do need to stress yeah. this. That is his first movie.
1: It is. Yeah. 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 That's it's, not like his it's first a different, big movie. Like it's a different scenario, but I think if you're yeah. talking about the movies that Colin has been in, like up until this film, this for all intents and purposes, this is his first like yes. Hollywood movie. You know? Yes.
0: Um, so we were talking earlier, both of us at various points, about how weird it is that this movie was o- opened in February when it feels like it maybe could have been more of a prestige play.
1: I would love to hear yeah. more about this. And so I just wanted to say It, it this. comes across as an obvious Oscar bait yeah. film.
0: So yeah. I I am not 100% on this. This is just some stuff that popped up when I was looking at this. So This movie opens on February 15th, uh, 2002. Um, it opens opposite John Q and Crossroads um, and it opens at number seven and it basically kind of bombs. It ends up making $33 million worldwide. I think, Connor, you said you saw the budget was 70. Yeah. So this is what I saw. And this is based on, I saw something on the IMDb trivia page and then I went and did a little poking around and it does seem like it's mostly accurate. This was an MGM movie and so was Wind Talkers, the John Woo movie. I, now, I don't know if you've seen Windtalkers, Connor. No. It's bad. It. It's Nick Cage, right? Yeah, Nick Cage. Yeah. Windtalkers is one of those cases where it is a little uh, notoriously that, like, the studio heavily re-edited it and chopped it up and tried to rework it into something. And I think John Woo, like, disowned it or did his own cut later. But as far as I can tell, what happened was MGM had this and MGM had Windtalkers. Um To open late 2001 and a combination of wind talkers not being ready by their sense because they are going to re-edit it and the fact that they see Black Hawk down in the pipeline for Christmas 2001 and apparently the uh, Mel Gibson movie we were soldiers which is about Vietnam was also originally supposed to be late 2001 before getting pushed as far as I can tell
1: come out 2003.
0: That movie comes out like March or April, 2002, I think. But as far as I can tell, what happened was MGM got skittish about Black Hawk down, decided to push both their world war two movies later. And because wind is clearly like, even though them editing it, it ends up being kind of disastrous for it. The fact that they're willing to put that much work into it means that they probably thought that the John Woo movie, the cage movie, that was going to be the better play. As far as I can tell, they push both these movies at the last second. They give that the big summer slot and they kind of just fucking dump this in February. Yeah. And I think that is, again, if you got a Bruce Willis, Colin Farrell movie opening number seven at 2,500 screens, that tells me that marketing wasn't there. You know,
1: it's just, it's just this movie is so, this movie is so funny. Cause it's like, if, paths of glory and the great escape and yeah. to kill a mockingbird we're all mer- like forced into With one thing it just bruce, fit at all. Willis. With get, bruce willis
0: this yeah. is this is kind of this thing i'm coming back to where like to some degree i have to assume if they had opened this in a more prime weekend you know maybe you've got a better better play but it kind of bombs it doesn't get well reviewed which also i think hurts it yeah. Um. I probably like it more than most of the critics do, but I'm such. I am famously a cheap lay, y'all. Like I am. I am. It is very easy for me to give a movie a thumbs up.
1: I don't know. I this one was one where I haven't rated it on Letterbox yet, and yeah. I'm I'm really not sure where it's gonna land. It's
0: a soft seven out of ten.
1: Well, I don't like movie. I don't. I I understand this more now, especially after being able to meet the people that both of us know and and talk to regularly that I have more of a distaste for messy films than I think the cinephile does. I really like, I'm I'm like astounded by like a tight script, like a diehard script, a diehard script like amazes me that it like works as well as it does. So like, this is like very counterintuitive to everything that I value in watching a movie.
0: I will say two things. One, Call me Marie Kondo because I love mess <laughs> yeah. And two This is not the kind of messy movie I actually like Like When I and I think a lot of Other people say we like messy movies I'm almost more talking about something like Tigerland Well, it's, where not it's idiosyncratic. like It's overshooting and it's yeah. idiosyncratic And it's really like Reaching for the stars you'll hit the moon This is like I said this is a mess because I think They probably spent like five Two or three years on the script and just overheated it to death and no one really had a good take on anything and they hired a competent filmmaker to usher it through and get good performances and it looks nice
1: I think this compared to like another film that I have a question for you because yeah. I'll, I'll get into what I'm about to say after I ask you this question do you have a favorite POW
0: Film. I that's the thing. I don't think I do. I mean, probably it's a hard question facto, to ask. It's not a genre
1: that it, you're meant to like love, you know.
0: I had this thought. Um, it feels like something that I'm like cognitively aware of as like a genre with conventions, but like when I sit down to think of it, I'm like, how many prisoner of war movies have I seen? And I'm not sure that there's that many, which is why I have to say, I think. By default, it's probably The Great Escape.
1: Yeah, I like, mean, what are you, you not got? wrong for picking that? Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I like stalag Seventeen. I never, I mean,
0: I've not seen Stalic Seventeen.
1: You can't really say you, you dislike these movies because even if you're not as high on them as like other people are, like they're like Bridge on the River Kwai. Like, oh fuck! Has, like, sorry, sorry, sorry. It. It's
0: it's you Bridge know? on the River Kwai. That movie's I, incredible.
1: I agree with you. I like that movie a lot more than I do. um the great escape
0: do you uh um, do you want to know why the version but i think
1: over- well can i, can I tell yeah. you yeah. i think my favorite and i don't know if this is because of the recent uh spielberg like extravaganza that i've been doing but empire of the sun i really oh. really like oh. but the messiness of that movie is like purely visual and emotional messiness and i i i'm i i That doesn't bother me. It's narrative. It's like the intellectual messiness of over plotted like narrative
0: that bothers me a lot. I think that movie is cheap, trinkly. Uh, Grand Illusion, also a great movie and a movie I think this movie is kind of wanting to be in the same conversation with with this kind of, I think, undercooked sense that the Nazi officers and the American officers share a certain, you know, dignity and respect for each other well that kind of doesn't work when they're nazis
1: like the marcel Uris character i think is like clearly in the lineage of yeah, the Eric von I'm character <sighs> from uh the grand illusion but, but again like what you're saying it doesn't really work when everything you know about the nazis is like <laughs> not, it, it <laughs> maybe also- this is the reality of the prisoner of war experience at the time when they were in the camp but like with the after knowledge of like the other activities that the nazis were engaging with this kind of like very bureaucratic legal drama like loses footing yeah. like especially when you're under especially under the knowledge of like how fictionalized this like tale is within the pow camp it does it's what i'm saying makes sense yeah like, i
0: i 100 like, agree i just wanted to say i think the other reason it doesn't work is that gregory hoblet is not john Renoir yes not to to be glib about it but no and it's it's a misguided thing i i don't love the whole like sophisticated nazi thing um there's one there's
1: one case when it works in my opinion at the end of rome open city when they're all in their like headquarters Mm -hmm. together and there's the one nazi who's like what are we doing we are destroying the world and they're all just like laughing like he's making a joke and it's like the one guy having like a crisis like an existential crisis who's like he's come to the knowledge of what they're doing that's the only time i've seen it where it works
0: i i i know i was ragging on Kristen faults the other day but i actually do really like it the hans landa and inglorious bastards because i think the ultimate trick of that is that that guy is a fucking monster and a yeah. rat and a pervert and like he puts on this like elegant respectful you know guys but underneath it he's just another nazi like i like that have you seen um um, um life and death of colonel blip i assume
1: yes but uh, uh- yeah while ago that's a desperate rewatch for me
0: i find i mean watch that movie any day of the week i I find that movie is kind of the way that movie plays with the sort of like dignified officers stuff of world war one movies of like grand illusion by having this sense that like world war ii and the nazis mark the end if there if there ever was any truth to the romantic dignity of the officer corps yeah. that the nazis have ended that because yeah. they are just so vile that even the like the whole thing with anton yeah. walbrook in that movie that he is like the great patriotic german who stands for his country and has dignity and even he has to flee to england and like renounces citizenship because of how vile the fucking nazis are is well, just even though that's a literal propaganda movie yeah i am going to take that over this movie trying to do grand illusion or world war ii
1: we have to acknowledge that grand illusion is a world war one
0: that, that's what i've been saying yeah. oh yeah no so i've been saying it, like, it's world war so, one so
1: grand illusion still grand yeah. illusion still falls into the camp of like the max offals romanticism of yeah. like military figures yes. you know who who will like follow the rules of like of like a chivalric
0: duel you know yes. like <laughs> but it doesn't yeah it just it doesn't, it doesn't work, work when something... they're nazis even though what's the what's that performer's name the romanian actor i think he's marcel quite good this. Yours? i think yeah. he's doing this too but, but it, I... it doesn't work when they're nazis and i don't think Hoblet is up to the task of overcoming that does he remind
1: you at all of uh of uh jeremy irons like a, a little jeremy irons. yeah a little you know who he is. Um, you know, he's been in a bunch know, of stuff. You know the first De Palma. Uh, yes, he is. Yep. That's Impossible. what I was going to say. He's yep. like that dude that they're following in the beginning of the movie. You stabbed yes, he is. Through the fence.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, He's um, also, I just saw this. I haven't seen this movie in forever, but I do want to shout this out. Um, he's one of the leads of the 2005 Billy O'Brien film Isolation. Have you ever seen Isolation? I have not. No one has. It's okay. I just got (laughs) to shut this up. Isolation has Marcel Uris, Essie Davis, Sean Harris, and Ruth Nega. (laughs) It is an Irish horror movie. And it's from 2005? 2005. Bear, stick with me here. Isolation is an Irish horror movie about a farm that is besieged by zombie cows. And now you, here's the thing. You hear that pitch and you're like, this is a dumb like faux ironic, like parody of B movie monster movies. Right. Like, like those like awful, like Ed Wood parodies that were so awash in the blockbuster era. The thing about isolation is that not only does isolation play zombie cows, a hundred percent straight. It's really fucking scary. (laughs)
1: Like (laughs) that's that's the trick of this movie. It's so How young is Ruth Nega in 2005?
0: Uh, Young. I did not remember. She was in this movie. Um, she's twenty three. Okay, Ruth Negga is older than you think. She's she is. Older she's than forty. I she
1: was then. Yeah.
0: Great actress. I know we've talked about her now twice on the show in movies she is not in. Uh, great actress.
1: Can we uh, hey, th- can we roll through a checklist real quick? Sure. Do you think this might be a longer discussion? But do you think if we were to do like a '90s version, a '90s season of Above the Title, okay. would Bruce Willis qualify?
0: Uh, he's like the dream, like candidate. undeniably, yeah. undeniably. Yeah.
1: It's the thing. Is it's like it's it's like once you hit the direct to video onslaught, it's like oh my god, how would we ever yeah. even do that? And, yeah. and
0: especially knowing that he was sick for so much of it, it just takes. I know, man. It it's takes so any fun out of it, and it's sad. I'm, I hope he's. I mean, I hope he's doing okay.
1: I really do, and I hope his like. I hope his kids are like. Yeah. Okay it, you know? I, I don't like, want to make light had, of it like, at all. Um, do yeah. you have anything? To, uh, let's just go through. It. Do you have anything to say about Cole Hauser in this? It's not as interesting, in my opinion. No, it's kind of like just not a not
0: one-note close. racist performance.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's clearly like kind of lavishing, like in the fact that he gets to do this, like be have so you, evil, but...
0: have you seen Higher Learning, the John Singleton movie?
1: I have not actually. That's I a, mean, I would just say this spot for me:
0: he he plays a like really, really like one-note evil neo-Nazi in that movie and that's like a much more interesting dynamic layered performance than what he's he's phoned it in here i'm sorry he's the weak link in this movie
1: i mean it's 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 like it's fine he's a he's a role player he does yeah
0: we talked about him on the Tigerland episode i think he's an interesting actor
1: um you know anything to say about linus roach i mean he's same thing he's like a role player i think he's he's better probably Cause he has to really capture that, like the ability to command he's the one that's directing them to spell out POW when they're outside the train. And yeah. when the plane crashes, he's the one that's yelling at them all to like fix everything. Um, I guess my, my
0: one movie. take on Linus Roach is that Mandy is a bad movie and he is bad in Mandy. Yeah. Um,
1: but he's great as Thomas Wayne. In Batman. He's begins. so good <laughs> as Thomas Wayne
0: and Batman <laughs> begins. Holy shit. A movie. I don't even like that much. <laughs>
1: It's like the only the only reason it's believable why that kid would grow up to be like I'm gonna go spend seven years in the Himalayas yeah. learning.
0: That's <laughs> learning a great performance. Karate.
1: yeah. Um, Sam Worthington is in this movie.
0: He yeah, you know, up. I yeah. have nothing to say about Sam Worthington in this movie other than it's that. It's interesting
1: that he... to see him in 2002, yeah. knowing like it's gonna be a while before you like the big said... stuff starts happening.
0: You said in your notes that you thought about him in this movie like Colin in Ordinary Decent Criminal, and I would say I I I hard disagree. He's so visible, sure. Not, but not in the terms. Not
1: in terms of like Colin in Ordinary Decent Criminal. Like when he's on the screen, you're yelling like, "Show me more of this guy! I want to know more about this guy." That's not the case with Sam. I I think, and I think think the reason. Interesting that the camera just keeps gravitating to him. He's clearly among like six actors who were put in the same like position, yet the camera keeps landing on him in every scene.
0: I just think it's interesting that we don't have that response to him. And I think it's because he just wasn't there. I think it took Sam Worthington a long time to get interesting on screen.
1: Well, I think, I, would I argue also that think it that the past performance, OG Avatar, yeah, you know, I think he's the not performance
0: he gives in Avatar: The Way of Water is one of the most purely thrilling movie star performances I think anyone has ever given in the history of Hollywood.
1: Have did you watch the, uh, the miniseries, the Under the Banner of Heaven? No? I did not. The he's really. That's he's, what I heard. He's pretty incredible in it. Like. Like you watch that series and and, you know you're conscious the whole time that like this is the lead of the highest grossing film ever made, and it's like two completely different performers once you get to that point. Um Gregory Hoblet, the son of an FBI agent. So a lot of his work's Mm -hmm. typically about that makes sense, procedural process, legal proceedings, things of that nature. Um I find it interesting that like He seems like he's going to be a mainstay in Hollywood. And then this movie loses so much money. Is it about Hobbit? Yeah. His next movie is Fracture, which had a $10 million budget. Yeah. That made money.
0: Yeah. Well, that was, that was like quietly a hit.
1: Yeah. Then, then he makes, that was in 2007. Then in 2000, literally the next year, he makes Untraceable, which had like yeah. a $35 million budget, which is like literally like a 5% the, on Rotten Tomatoes.
0: The Gregory Hoblets of the world, like Hollywood has less and less need for that. You know, yeah. as the mid-budget thriller for adults dies a death over the 20 years after this movie comes out.
1: Well, I just find it interesting that his feature film career yeah. was killed by a film that I have not seen, but from my understanding, like fails to understand the concept of the internet I mean, and like fails remember, to understand
0: computers. Do you remember when that movie came out?
1: No, I don't.
0: Because I've never you mean, seen like, it either.
1: Time? Like, I don't remember. Like, no. Do you like remember, remember the,
0: movie, the release yeah. of that movie?
1: I, I remember. because. I, I, I maybe saw like an interview with Diane Lane where she was talking about how scary the internet is and that freaked me out because I was like, oh my God, the internet's a scary place. So,
0: I yeah, remember when that movie it, came definitely. out and I, I feel like there are a few wide release movies in my lifetime that had been that pilloried. Yeah. Like that was just, that, that to it. me is like, if you ask me to name a movie that critics hate, that's going to be one of the movies that comes right to my mind.
1: It's just crazy to me that that like immediately closes the coffin. And it's like, you're not even, you're not directing like full runs of like a television series no. anymore. You could come he's... on as a guest director on the Americans and on the strain. And then that's, you're done. Have, 2015 is the last time he did anything. He's also I mean, he's old. old now, but yeah,
0: he's 65 when he makes uh untraceable. Let the man be retired. <laughs> he has Hill Street um, Blues residuals.
1: Something else, something else I want to bring out. And uh that this that terry george who wrote this film yeah. is also irish he's from belfast yes and he is. he's written a few uh jim sheridan films like yes. in the name of the father and the boxer and uh i i find it interesting that like in the name of the father specifically is tries to play with such similar themes but again like because in the name of the father is about prejudice against irish cat like northern irish catholics and kind of that's more of like a to kill a mockingbird rendition like through and through from the beginning to end i i don't think that Mm movie is a great film but that movie makes a lot more sense than this one does like by far but what i what i was gonna say i think is that like sometimes there are these films about racial dynamics in america that are written or made by foreign filmmakers And it feels like they just cannot quite grasp like the reality or like the specificity of American racism. And I felt that I was like reminded of three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, feeling like the same way about McDonough. Um, I'm wondering if I'm gonna if I'm gonna like applying that lens to widows when we get to it. I'm wondering if I'm gonna feel any of that. Uh, But I mean, better not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I. I find 12 Years a Slave like incredibly profound and insightful. But again, oh, that's like slavery. See, that's interesting. And not post-slavery era racism.
0: I, I totally think of 12 Years a Slave as being of what you're talking about. Oh, really? That, that strikes me as a bunch of Brits playing dress up and missing it. Whereas to me, I see Widows and Widows, despite being from, you know, Brits is not just so locked in, I think, to the realities of, like racial politics in contemporary America, but specifically the Chicago realities of racial politics in America. We are going to get into it. I cannot well, wait to I'm talk ready. about I, fucking widows.
1: I feel like I I I feel like I was trying to uncover a lot of my own ideas. Or I was trying to yeah. learn I was I was too much in the process of learning at the time that film came out to like sure. really like apply my like analytical thought to like what that film is trying to say. So I'm very excited like I mean, it'll be a year from now when we get to watch it, but it's gonna be our best um, episode.
0: It's gonna be our best yeah. episode.
1: I mean, McQueen is a in the pantheon of living filmmaker of working.
0: Masterful filmmaker. Even yeah. if I don't like all of his movies, even I think he misses sometimes. Like I don't care for 12 years of slaves. Some of the small acts I don't like. You got anything else you want to get into the games?
1: Um, I just want to talk about I just want to put this out there. Yeah, hit me. Uh so his financial standing like up to this point. I'm just talking about starring roles. I'm not going to talk mm-hmm. about ordinary decent criminal. Um Tigerland cost 10 million. Uh made 140,000 like 40,000. <laughs> so it essentially lost 9.9 9 million. American Outlaws cost 35 million. Made 13.7 mm. million. Don't so forget.
0: It, don't forget when you're talking about how much money movies lost. Budgets, listed yes, yes, budgets. Yes, I'm just saying this for our listeners. Like, we don't have to do the math here, but we're saying that off production budgets. Listed budgets do not include marketing costs, nor do they include how much goes to the theaters. So, triple or quadruple all these numbers when you're actually trying to think about how much they to think actually about it lost.
1: A lot. I think at this period in time, you can stick to double. I, uh, I would say double 2.5. Yeah. Yeah. I think but the film quadruple yeah. is more of like a, we're yeah. living through some weird moment in history. The last the like, way I,
0: seven years, man. The way I think it actually weirdly balances out though, is that contemporary big tentpole movies spend way more like proportionally on marketing, but they also give way less proportionally to the theaters. Yes. So it actually does kind of, I think, balance out. But I feel like 2.53 for a movie like this, four for a fucking Marvel movie. Always multiply the budget by four.
1: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, but so essentially yeah. essentially he American Outlaws lost 21.3 yeah. million dollars. And At again, least. this I don't have the mouth, I don't have the math out in front of me of specifically how much I could try to do it off the top of my head real quick, but it had it it <laughs> Cost seventy million, and it made thirty three point one million. So he I would has say it lost his, about a hundred million dollars in his starring role, not counting excise costs of marketing and yes. uh, theater chain rental fees. He yeah. Colin has lost <laughs> film producers sixty eight point one million dollars. In like a two
0: year period Well this is why I think we're getting it I mean obviously I know like a lot of these The castings happen, you know The productions happen before the previous flops hit But this is kind of why I think we hit this run Of pairing him up with more established names Yeah Because it's the sense that like You keep asking why does he keep getting second chances And my answer to that is just Because he's undeniably a movie star And they're going to keep working on it it's can't, worth the investment i
1: can't overstate how like he he had like perfect things happen to him yeah considering like the fact that like again this movie is when this movie releases he has completely finished shooting minority report minority yes. report is in the can it's getting ready to get released you know yes and it's like you think about these you think about the scenarios of other actors careers that are literally film by film it's like if this film's a hit you get to get cast yes. in another film. If that film's a hit, you get to get cast in another film. And Colin has finished filming bigger films than the one he preceded before the one that preceded that one has, has even come out yes. in theaters, which is just crazy.
0: It's, right. it's just because he's just that undeniable and because white guys get more chances. Like
1: That is also true. And yeah. he's European. And he's European. Yeah.
0: You want to go into some games?
1: Sure. Do you want to go first?
0: I can go first. Okay. So I always play the same game with Connor, which yeah. is I go to the numbers.com, which is a great box office site. And I pick a keyword associated with the movie we're discussing. And Connor has to guess the top five biggest hits listed <laughs> under that keyword. And you're going to be so mad at me this week.
1: I'm, I this have is
0: no idea what you pick. Unadjusted domestic box office, Connor. Can you tell me what the five biggest movies are that deal with bigotry?
1: Oh my good god, (laughs) man! Okay, Um.
0: talk through it. Talk through it. Dead air.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I like. I you know. I I always have like in my head what like the highest grossing films are, and it's Mm -hmm. like Avatar. Yeah. avengers endgame none of these the movies Potter are in the movies. well okay yeah.
0: one of these movies is in the billion dollar range worldwide and then the next one on the list is in the 200 million dollars range worldwide. so the
1: billion dollar one is from the 2010s yes it is i gotta be guessing yes is is it django unchained
0: it is not django unchained you are in the wrong wrong direction django unchained is not on this list remember this is what people have put down the web this website no man has put down
1: okay is it is it uh is it x-men first class
0: it he is not Nazis x-men first class you have gotten two wrong guesses i'm gonna give you the years okay okay yeah for your top five 2016 2016 2011 2016 again 1974 and
1: 2013.
0: 2016,
1: twice, 2011,
0: 2013, and 1974. Yes. Okay. So your 2016. It's not Moonlight. It's not Moonlight. Your number, but it is that year. Yeah. Your big number one hit. I'm just going to double check on this. uh, Won an Academy Award. Uh, And I would say that is total bullshit that it won its oscar
1: did it win like a hair and makeup or something
0: like that no uh ineligible for hair and makeup let's say
1: oh it did it win animated film it did win animated zootopia
0: it's zootopia that's the Uh, number one is that the number one that's your number one
1: that's like the the number the highest grossing film about bigotry
0: yes Yes, a movie that is implicitly about how black people are biologically coded to be (laughs) dangerous dangerous. to white people and need to keep their barbaric nature in check. That's fucking crazy. And yet is also a metaphor (laughs) for the CIA flooding African-American communities with crack cocaine. (laughs) Uh, Your number two highest grossing movie. This movie was nominated for four Oscars. It won one. This is 2011. In
1: 2011. This is a movie uh, we're all
0: embarrassed uh, by.
1: We're all embarrassed. It won. It won an Oscar, and it got yes. nominated for four. And it came out in twenty eleven. Is yes. twenty eleven no? King's Speech is twenty ten, right? The year after King's Speech. The artist is twenty eleven.
0: This is the artist year.
1: And this movie
0: probably yeah. came closer to winning Best Picture than anyone likes to think about.
1: It's not Lincoln. That's twenty. It's not Lincoln. Is that twenty twelve or is that twenty? That's twenty
0: twelve. Yeah. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, and Best Supporting Actress twice. Oh, is it The Help? It's The Help. Oh my God. Okay, number three, 2016. That's the number two? That's number two. Number three, 2016. This is a movie that got made because of The Help. This is also a Best Picture nominee.
1: Uh, Hidden Figures.
0: Hidden Figures.
1: Okay.
0: Number four, 1974.
1: Glenn Powell. Glenn Powell is in Hidden Figures. He, he plays is. He's really astronaut. good in Hidden Figures. Yeah. That's number his first four.
0: aviator role. Number four. This movie's from 1974. This movie is a fucking 10 out of 10 masterpiece. This is, I mean. Annoying people like to say that you couldn't make this movie today.
1: Oh. Okay. So before it's Godfather. This movie was
0: nominated for three Oscars. This movie was nominated for best supporting actress, best film editing, and best original song. It probably should have won all three of those.
1: Is it Cabaret?
0: No it's more irreverent than cabaret oh man that's
1: original song like is it a musical no no
0: it has an opening credits theme song that's great
1: it has an opening credits theme song it's not we're too late now for in the heat of the night and damn what 1974 you think it's a great
0: film yeah, you think it's a great film. I think it's a great we've film. never talked about this. I'd be shocked if you don't like this movie.
1: And wait, what did it get nominated for? Best supporting actress, best, best supporting actress, song. best
0: editing, and best original song. Um, here's here's a I don't good think I'm hint. Get this
1: one, yeah.
0: Here's a good hint. Uh, the writer and director of this movie. Was also nominated for best adapted screenplay this year for the other ten out of ten masterpiece that came out this year that starred the same actors. Oh god. Okay.
1: Why don't? Is it a dog day afternoon? No. No. It's
0: Blazing Saddles. Oh my god.
1: (laughs) Yes. Right. A ten out of ten. Yeah. Okay. Blazing Saddles, a ten out of ten, and I think you could make Blazing Saddles tonight.
0: No, I said annoying people love to be like you couldn't make Blazing Saddles. Um. Number five is a. Can movie- I just say
1: something? I don't. Yeah. I hate that argument when it's about movies that are or like any art that's like the joke is the bigotry. Yes. When like the when like the joke isn't like the humor isn't bigoted. The humor is about the bigotry. Like I hate when people make that argument that it's like oh it can't be made today and it's like that's okay. it has to be made today. If we cut that kind of comedy yes. out, we're
0: screwed. Yes. Number five is a movie that i think kind of rules uh terrence this is is 2013 this This is 2013 this movie quietly made almost 200 million dollars
1: is it lee daniels the butler
0: it's the butler (laughs) the butler's so good the butler's so good the
1: butler is is uh what's the what's the film that it reminds me of remains of the day is that the one that it reminds me of Sure. Yeah. uh just
0: to round out the top 10 because i think this is funny uh remember the titans maleficent wow. 2 a what? time to kill i haven't seen nine Malif- to five <laughs> and schindler's list <laughs> oh,
1: man
0: uh you I, got a game for me
1: how is Male- have you seen maleficent 2 no
0: oh sorry it's maleficent one it's maleficent, maleficent one. one i apologize it's
1: because they No, it is two. It magical- is two. it's two it's
0: two, it's two. How is that? I don't, I don't know. know. I haven't seen it. You haven't it.
1: seen it, right? I haven't no. seen it. Wait, okay, wait. Go read them off again. Uh wait, Joel six... Schumacher has one of the highest a time to kill. films about bigotry.
0: Yes. A time to Kill. Maybe a movie, movie you actually couldn't make today for good. That reason. movie
1: was that movie. That movie is like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to I don't know. I are we're gonna talk about it, I'm assuming, in the Veronica Guerin episode, but like
0: do you want to know those, the funniest movie those on Grisham, this list is?
1: Those Grisham movies are yeah. insane. Like the firm is insanity and the client kind of makes sense when you're comparing it to the firm. Yeah. And then you go straight from like, you go straight into a time to kill and you're like, we're back in a wacky land. Like nothing makes any sense anymore. <laughs> like
0: uh, number 14 movie about bigotry is the notebook, uh, which I assume is bigoted against uh, pretty people- boys who won't get haircuts. anyway yeah you have a game for me
1: yeah yeah okay i'm gonna call this one the 2002 roundup you're probably gonna be pretty good at this but i just like comparing i like when you're looking at this type of these years it's crazy the amount of filmmakers that had films that came out in 2002 and the films that came out in 2002 so i'm literally i'm literally just gonna name the film the filmmaker and you're gonna tell me what film Sure. They made that came out in two thousand. Hit me. Okay, Adrian lynn
0: Uh, Unfaithful.
1: Yep. You're one for one. Not my favorite
0: movie. Chris Columbus. Yep. Uh, Harry Potter two.
1: Yep. What? What's the what's subtitle? Chamber of Secrets. Yep.
0: (laughs) Not a good movie.
1: Christopher Nolan.
0: Insomnia. Good movie.
1: Good movie. David Fincher.
0: Oh, Panic Room. Yep. Not my favorite. Sorry.
1: I not mine either. It's a, that's, that's a, that's a movie that feels like video game. Let me tell
0: yeah, you. Yeah, kind of. And I'm yeah. a huge Fincher guy.
1: I am too. I don't know if we've ever talked about Fincher huh. before. Yeah. Denzel Washington.
0: As a director, I've never seen it, but Antoine Fisher.
1: Yes. Yes. Doug Lyman.
0: Limania, running wild, born identity.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Eli Roth.
0: A cabin Fever. Yep. Masterpiece. <laughs> George Clooney. Confessions of Dangerous Mind. His good yes. movie. Very under- one. Good very movie.
1: movie. Charlie Kaufman wrote this. this yeah, great film. movie. George Lucas,
0: <laughs> Star Wars: Attack of the Clones.
1: Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro.
0: Ooh, Devil's Backbone. No, two thousand and two. This,
1: this one's a very interesting. One oh, in Blade? No,
0: 20. not Blade Two. Blade Two?
1: Yes, Blade Two. I
0: thought that was like two thousand and four yeah. or something. Yeah, Gore Verbinski. Oh, The Ring. Like yeah. my second or third favorite movie of the year. I
1: this one, this one I feel like you're going to get but I included it just because it's yeah. crazy. Guy Ritchie. Swept away. Yeah. yeah I've never that, seen it. The movie that like prevented from Madonna
0: from being yeah. in movies. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Famous Bob. <laughs> Catherine Bigelow. Bigelow. Okay, so this one's kind of a trick. Because I believe The Weight of Water comes out in 2002 but was shot and premiered in 2000. Am I wrong?
1: It's not, that's not the one that I'm...
0: That is uh, it? Yeah. K-19, The Widowmaker? It's K-19,
1: The Widowmaker. I K-19 do
0: think The Weight of Water also comes out in 2002. Okay. Her two bad movies.
1: There's a few, there's a few directors who made, who had double films in 2002. Yeah, Spielberg. Yeah. We're going to talk ones, about it. Which one's for Spielberg?
0: Minority Report and catch me if you can.
1: Yeah. What about Soderbergh?
0: Soderbergh in 02, full frontal, right? one of his best movies and solaris don't say it, don't say his it. worst movie no i solaris, is, solaris is
1: one of his best movies I solaris is one hate, of his best movies
0: okay no it's not his worst movie cuz he made the laundromat it's close
1: <laughs> you like you you like um you like traffic better than solaris
0: yeah i don't love traffic <laughs> but it's better than solaris
1: i really walked you into a corner there <laughs> um, so there's
0: good stuff in traffic <laughs> There is. It's just unspeakably racist. <laughs> yeah.
1: Is traffic the beginning of Mexico is orange? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And like Mexico oh, I is don't orange. even
0: think that's the racist thing.
1: No, it's not, but I'm just thinking of like aesthetically, is that the beginning of it? Where like every single film that comes out in either Mexico or the Middle East for the next 15 years has to be orange.
0: The racist thing about that movie is outside of Don Cheadle playing a cop, uh every black Person in that movie is like a horrific monster who only exists to rape young white women. Yeah, it's All true. Right. I'm sorry. It is no,
1: I, I don't. I'm not. I don't yeah. have any. I don't have any. I don't have any skin in the game about traffic. Yeah. I was just wondering because I know your opinion about traffic. I was wondering. I love Solaris. So <laughs> I was wondering. I love it. I think Piece it's better of than the Tarkovsky one. That's
0: fucking insane. <laughs> it's not. Go to jail. <laughs> The Tarkovsky <laughs> movie is like one of the best movies anyone's ever made,
1: <laughs> and I think I think the cyber that's is fucking better.
0: garbage. Oh my god!
1: All right, what about M Night Shyamalan? Signs, yes, yeah, maybe uh, his best
0: movie. Scorsese, Games of New York, maybe his worst movie. Non-documentary I, edition.
1: I think
0: it's not terrible. It's actually kind of okay.
1: I can. I don't know if it's it. It's so weird with him because he doesn't have any bad films. So like, well, some out, of the docs. Some a feature a narrative yeah. feature. Film. Yeah,
0: but that so, might be the worst one. I mean, I haven't seen Kundu. I haven't seen the color of money.
1: It's worse than Kundu. Yeah. Um, this doesn't
0: not, not my not my not my. Do tempo. you like
1: Hugo? Hugo is usually the one that people. I like, like Hugo.
0: Hate. Hugo's I good.
1: I think anybody who like loves early film history.
0: Yeah, it's can't a good time. I like
1: Hugo. Um, Signs. I don't know. I maybe I best like the movie. Sixth Sense better than.
0: Yeah, I mean, probably. I really yeah. signs, man. Ooh, ooh, I love
1: sign. Signs is when the dialogue, the Shyamalan dialogue
0: yeah. starts. I like- love. First of all, I love all the Jesus stuff in that movie. I find it very <laughs> affecting. Um, it's his scariest movie. Also- <laughs> It's also the
1: second one in a row where it's clear that Shyamalan doesn't know anything about sports. Because sure. can I say something I don't, about Unbreakable? Yeah. That's insanity. And in In Unbreakable, he's working at a football game in the stadium when he yes. gets the call that his son got in a fight in school, which means that a college football game at UPenn was being played <laughs> like during during school hours on a weekday. Like, yeah. what are you oh, talking about there? And that's then a also. Work. And then also when he's like, how much weight is that? And he's like 250 pounds. And he's like, I've never lifted that much before. He was like, a, wasn't he a college football star? You know, at the NFL combine, they max out their reps. You know what they, the weight they use, 225 pounds. Like this guy's definitely benched 250 pounds before. Christian McCaffrey, who had like a horrible combine that everybody was calling him weak, did 225 pounds 10 times. So I, this guy definitely has benched 250 pounds before. Okay, I'll move on. I Can I say, can I say um, one
0: more thing about signs?
1: Yeah, go for it. Oh, and then I, the baseball inside. The baseball inside I don't, is like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't love that this is a true fact about me, but I, I do think Mel Gibson is kind of an undeniably incredible actor.
1: I haven't, yeah, that, and that's that his best
0: performance, like without question. Mel Gibson is like transcendent in Signs. I'm sorry, I know he's a piece of shit.
1: No, here's the here's the here's my issue, which I don't. This is probably something that like, I should just get over at some point, but people who are problematic that I did not have a relationship to their work before they became problematic. I've just like shut off. Like, I don't have like, I I've seen probably like four Woody Allen films and it's because I've been like forced to watch them in school. Same with like Roman Polanski. And it's like, I just have no interest in like seeking them out or thinking about them. So I don't really have opinions on like, if Woody Allen is a good filmmaker or if somebody who said something anti-semitic is a good actor well and and beat his girlfriend like yeah um, yeah. it's
0: the thing the thing with mel is that everything that makes him like a horrible human being is also i think what makes him a great actor it's that he's fucking insane and it translates on screen i'm sorry
1: is hearts war better or worse than hacksaw Ridge?
0: better i i find i kind of hate hacksaw Ridge i think that movie is bullshit like it, i have profound right? issues with that movie on a structural level
1: that movie is like right? yeah
0: almost immorally yeah. bullshit yeah that's i don't
1: i don't know how that movie got made in
0: uh mel gibson having bull yeah and making big hits again that's what, that's i don't what know
1: is. how that movie i don't know how mel gibson has retained Uh, because the
0: passion of the christ was the highest grossing r-rated movie ever made for like 13 years
1: yeah but when people say that it's like of course it was you know what i mean
0: it's a hard r like snuff film yeah it's it's like it's straight up torture porn i don't think that movie's very good sorry
1: but if you were to if you were to like if you were to like algorithmically like categorize a film that would be the highest grossing art rated film no. like that's what that's the area that you're talking i about, you know think I
0: mean? you sure i think you in 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 hindsight are saying that i can say this i remember when that movie came out people thought before that movie came out that it was too violent to play to like evangelical crowds That's the other thing about that movie is that Mel Gibson is like a fucking psycho Catholic and that movie played well with evangelicals like that's the other thing people didn't think about that movie. Mel Gibson is such a Catholic. He doesn't think the Pope is real. (laughs) I don't know if you knew that. Did you know that, Connor? No, I did not know that. Mel Gibson is a set of of vacantists. Mel Gibson is a set of vacantists, like an actually a set of (laughs) vacantists.
1: Oh, my God. That's wild, man. That is crazy. Where did he grow up? Australia or New Zealand?
0: Uh, he's born in New York, but he grew up in Australia.
1: Yeah, because then his dad yeah. like win the lottery or something? I don't know. And they like moved out. Yeah. We can't keep right. talking about um, Mel Gibson.
0: We've almost been going for three hours. Michael Moore. Oh, bowling. Bowling yep. for Columbine.
1: Paul Schrader. Had a film with him in. Autofocus.
0: Like maybe his yeah. worst movie. <laughs> I can't Thomas stand Autofocus. Oh, Oh, um, the, the Punch Drunk Love.
1: Yep. Good Peter year. Jackson.
0: Yeah, that's uh, what I'm two saying. Towers. That's
1: why, that's why yeah. I picked this as two the towers. game.
0: Two Towers. Uh, you haven't mentioned the best one yet.
1: Robert Rodriguez.
0: Dire- Ooh, Spy Kids 2? Subtitle. Island of Lost Dreams?
1: Yeah, you got it, man. <laughs> okay, ready for the next one? Roberto Benigni.
0: Pinocchio.
1: Yeah, the, the directorial follow-up to yep. Life is Beautiful.
0: One of the two Pinocchio movies he made. <laughs> He made another one a couple of years ago.
1: I know. Yeah, yeah. He made one. He, he made like when that one came out, I knew Del Toro was working on his. Yeah. And I was like, oh, here it is. And then I was like, no. No, this isn't it. What? <laughs> um, Sam Mendez.
0: Road to Perdition, the one good movie yep. he ever made. And I want to know who actually yep. directed it. Because it's a masterpiece.
1: I'm trying to think over his.
0: I, no, they all stink. Like
1: Revolutionary Road. I've, the,
0: I haven't seen that one and I haven't seen Away We Go.
1: I haven't seen Away We Go either. Um, Sam Raimi.
0: 2002. Oh, this my is God. so easy, man. This is
1: so easy. Oh, Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> Spike Jones.
0: Spike Jones adaptation.
1: Second Charlie Kaufman.
0: Second almost. Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, this is okay. when Charlie Kaufman's hot because Human Nature is also this year.
1: Yeah. The one he does was yeah. Michel Gondry. Um Spike Lee.
0: Uh 25th Hour Best Movie of the Year, maybe Spike Lee's best movie, except it's not because he also may do the right thing. A perfect Wait, who, movie. I fucking who's love the one,
1: who's the one that you're thinking of that uh I didn't name
0: when I said best movie, best director a few a few seconds ago. Spike yeah. Lee. Spike Lee. I was waiting oh, for you that's to say the Spike one. Lee. Oh okay, yeah. okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, a he was there at the because it's alphabetical order, so it was him and oh. then Cyberg and then Spielberg yeah yeah.
0: I didn't realize you're you're going to by first name
1: by director because I didn't want to give away you could get the film a lot easier yeah 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 yeah, no we might do we might keep doing this as long as the years are like
0: I'm good with years but
1: just but just think but just think about the movies that came out in yeah it was a
0: good fucking year it's also like and we will really get into this next week but it really is the first year that I'm like really seeing new releases and we're going to get into it next week you got anything um, else you want to say because i am heart's worn just, out.
1: do you want to talk about the weird interviews of colin
0: farrell that are on nope. youtube don't want to do it okay. <laughs> we can talk about it nope i do not i think Fair colin enough. farrell is funny and chill and i don't <laughs> think we should read into these interviews any more than that <laughs> no i don't i don't
1: mean about read into them i just mean like should we make the public aware of
0: (laughs) connor connor found an interview in which he impl in which colin farrell implies that he spent yeah outright says that he spent most of the production of this movie giving bruce willis (laughs) handjobs um which is clearly just him i mean i think it's cool again that like I said, that he is so comfortable in his sexuality. It is so that he'll funny. he'll just dude. say shit like that. It it's is funny. so
1: funny that the interviewer is clearly trying to have like a real interview with him, and the interviewer is like, I'm going to say two words, and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. And the first thing he <laughs> says is Bruce Willis, and Colin Farrell goes, giant cock, is his answer to the question.
0: He's a funny guy. He's a and really then, funny guy.
1: And then there's another interview where he's on the press tour for Hearts War, and for whatever reason, the interviewer keeps asking him if if tom cruise is gay because they knew that he worked on minor report and colin farrell gives a very like genuine answer of like (laughs) i've been around gay people and i know that like he might not be as butch as some people but i don't think he's gay i think he's straight and i was like this is just crazy that he's like (laughs)
0: uh he's such (laughs) (laughs) a good interviewer should we should we do an episode on his hot ones appearance uh in a year
1: when, what, what was that? What run was he on for that?
0: That's when he's promoting Banshees, I think. Okay. Man, he was in four movies this year. He was in crazy. four movies in 2022. It's one of the reasons okay. why we're doing this.
1: Um, uh, We'll talk
0: about it. We'll talk about it. We'll talk yeah.
1: about it. it I don't fun. want to do it during the Banshees podcast, but we could yeah. probably do it during the. Whatever the Ron Howard movie that came out this year, we could probably do it.
0: American masterpiece, Thirteen Lives. Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) Okay, fucking love that movie. We'll do it
1: as its own episode. Paul
0: Paul Thomas Anderson's favorite movie of 2022. Okay, we are getting loopy. It has been almost three hours. I can't believe,
1: yeah, (laughs) on this
0: movie. Um, next week, join us. We're fucking talking Minority Report. We're fucking talking Steven Spielberg, Philip K. Dick, Tom Cruise, Janusz Kaminski, Steve Jobs. We'll get into it. We should have a guest next week. I am so excited. It'll go for eight eight hours. It'll be so long. (laughs) I hope our guest has nothing planned to do that day. Um, But yeah, take it easy. We'll see you next week. Uh, Fuck the Nazis. Fuck the monarchy. Topping up like a lice I can feel it God.